Hello and welcome to Between the Gutters, the podcast where we talk about the stories within the panel. I'm your co-host Drew Tan and with me is... Oh, this is Albert. A <laughs> to the L to the B to the E-R-T. Wiggle, 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 we're doing it. That is my intro. I couldn't have done it any better. <laughs> All right. It's Drew Tan and Albert Lamb coming at you. Today on Between the Gutters, we are going to talk about the new Marvel movie, Spider-Man No Way Home. This is our autopsy. This is our home topsy. The home topsy? Okay. The no no way topsy. No, no gnome topsy. I don't know, man. I got nothing. So much of my contribution to this podcast is just throwing crap at walls and seeing what sticks and what doesn't. So welcome to the home topsy. <laughs> I haven't heard you say Shanka Donka in a while. You know, that thing you always say, our catchphrase. Yeah. yeah, well, I try not to run bits into the ground. I think bits are best as one-off sort of things. So, you know, you make I try to keep it fresh. It. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, it's like an event comic. If it just happens every episode, then what makes it special? It becomes Nothing. meaningless. Exactly. And the only thing meaningless in this podcast is my day-to-day existence. Thanks for listening to Between the Gutters. <laughs> <laughs> so now... Let's talk about Spider-Man. <laughs> Let, let's try to forget about our day, day-to-day existential problems and the meaninglessness of life. And let's talk about the Spider-Man movie. <laughs> <laughs> That'll make me feel better. <laughs> so, as you all know, uh, this week was the release of the uh, the Spider-Man movie, Far From Home. And this was... A big, long-awaited Marvel movie for this year. I might even go so far as to say it might have been the most awaited Marvel movie f- for uh, 2021. Well, yeah. Would you agree with that, Drew? It yeah, was... it was. And from what I know, just from looking at the news, apparently the amount of people who bought tickets uh, before the movie premiered, I'm talking about like the pre-sale tickets, or the you know people buying tickets so they can make sure they watch it on the first day. The amount of people who who bought tickets to the theater was more than any other movie's uh, entire theatrical run. So uh, and and I I feel like I need to correct you, but did you mean theater? Uh, I, I meant cinema actually. Okay, thank the you. Cinema. Thank you. Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, yeah. So maybe, maybe it sounds before like it was we, a big uh, deal. yeah, maybe before we get started, we should clarify that the these first few minutes will be spoiler free. So if you haven't watched the movie, don't worry. Uh, we'll we'll warn you before we really begin dissecting it. From now, we will stick to a spoiler-free discussion and overview and just give our general thoughts before getting into any details about the actual movie itself. Yeah, we'll just be general in terms of plot points and just 
discuss our our We won't talk uh, about anything appearance. that wasn't in the trailer. There we go. That's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Let me start off with a simple question for you, Albert. But did you like this movie? Uh yeah. So it's that's the question that I really had to think have to think long and hard about in order to answer because it's not something that I can answer with a yes or no uh, as much as most people would respond to that or probably prefer that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay, I man. Think Complicated. I I'm you got depth. I'm, I I I have death. That's yes. Uh, I would say I'd probably go as far as to say that if I had to, if someone was to ask me, would I recommend this movie on its artistic merits? Uh, uh, would I recommend this movie for its craft? I I would, I'd one, I'd have to ask what I'd have to ask that person what they're looking for in order to really answer that and two yeah okay like if 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 we're talking about the actual craft of it and the artistic merit i i probably wouldn't recommend it on those grounds but mm-hmm. you know if someone came to me and just asked you know for a movie that was just mindless fun and a popcorn flick i could recommend it for that yeah. yeah, I think that's the that's the easiest, shortest way that I could answer that is uh yeah, if you're just looking for mindless popcorn fun or entertainment even, uh on those grounds I'd probably I'd probably recommend it to some people. Uh do you think there's anybody out there who considers watching a Marvel movie wondering if it's gonna be anything of artistic merit? I think we do. Yeah, but we're built different, man. Uh, yeah, but that's not my fault. That's society's fault for not <laughs> adhering to my standards. So, you know, well I'm not the well problem said. here. Drew. They're the problem. Can't argue with this that. Is why, this is why I hate them all. <laughs> I hate society so much. <laughs> so much. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, what about you, Drew? Like, just in terms of uh, your enjoyment or lack thereof, what would you say? I would say, to be honest, I actually did enjoy this movie. I would say I had fun watching it, but the more I, well, not the more I think about it, because even as I was watching it, I think I was, I recognized that there were a lot of problems in the story, and it 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 was something that I had fun with, but it wasn't something that I thought was particularly, particularly good, I guess, I mean... Yeah, I don't. I'm not gonna talk about the plot or anything because that that might be a little too much detail. But there are definitely things that 
I, I don't know. I mean, just based on the those trailers, right? It's obvious that these old villains are coming back into the vil- old villains from the Sony movies are coming into the MCU Spider-Man movie. Yeah. So they're certainly trying to tap into, I think, a bit of nostalgia and just the hype of the crossover. You know, that's something that we see as superhero readers. We always see crossovers and there's a certain point when that sort of thing gets kind of enticing because you you do want to see these characters that you don't normally see interact with each other get a chance yeah. to finally do so. So yeah. like on that level, I kind of get that. I understand there's a a novelty to it, right? But yeah. then once we once we see the reason or you know the the mechanism that brings them into the world it it's yeah it's it's tenuous at best and it 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 feels less like a a story about spider-man and it feels more like uh kind of a navel gazing celebration of spider-man movies yeah it's a lot of a lot of fan service and a lot of totally kind of fanboy moments yeah yeah totally i was gonna say mm -hmm. oh go ahead no, you go ahead. No, no, go. I uh, I lost my thread. <laughs> I lost. Oh, okay. I forgot what I was gonna say. But go. Uh, I was just gonna comment on how even before this movie came out, there was a lot of hype and excitement and a whole bunch of unsubstantiated rumors about what was gonna be in the movie and which actors they were bringing back. Yeah. It was. And I think all... even that build up, it it kind of annoyed me. Just because it it was less about what is the Spider-Man story going to be about and more about are we going to see Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst or Emma Stone or, you know, all the major characters from the other movies. People were just asking those questions and and it's like so many clickbaity titles or clickbaity articles where people were just hyping themselves, frothing at the mouth. The hype just descended into the worst kind of speculative fanboyism. And that that's the exact kind of thing I disdain. It it made it hard to look forward to this movie. I think we, we've talked about how uh, in previous episodes, you know, how of all the movies that were coming out, all the Marvel movies that were coming out this year, Eternals was the one that appealed the most. And mm-hmm. I, I think... I think all the stuff that was surrounding No Way Home was it, it. I was I went into the theater expecting to be disappointed, to be honest. Like I was ready. Really? Yeah, I was ready to be disappointed. I was ready to to roll my eyes a lot. And I kind of yeah. did. I kind of did. I mean, I, like I said, I still had fun watching it, but I I, I know in my heart that. It it's not a great movie. It's it's not like it's still not a definitive Spider-Man movie to me. Like when I think of a definitive Spider-Man story, it this this wouldn't be it, you know. Like there I'm still waiting for that one that one iconic definitive Spider-Man story in a movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Like I'd even go so far as to say that 
a lot of a lot of these uh big movies that have these three act arcs um it always feels like that third act doesn't necessarily hit it out of the ballpark like it always feels like a lot of the them end on a whimper you know it's uh very rare that that final movie does anything uh to to elevate the trilogy as a whole uh mm-hmm. more often than not the third act is usually the one that kind of kills it un- unfortunately uh we we've had a gu- couple of good trilogy acts that ended pretty well i'd say the avengers and uh captain america ended pretty well but and thor was probably the one example where the third movie was stronger than the first two by far mhm mhm but um but you know just looking at spider-man like the sam raimi spider-mans i i can't say that i enjoyed that last movie um and the the andrew garfield's in spider-man he didn't even get a third movie and and then there was this and i i think I guess compared to those two, this was more acceptable, or I I personally found it more acceptable. But I I I'm I'm with you when when you say that I've uh when when you say that you've yet to see like a definitive Spider-Man like trilogy, you know? Uh, well, you said movie, Even but I movie, I, yeah. Well. You know, I, I, I think Far From Home, or not Far From Home, uh, wait, Homecoming, and uh, what was the second one called? That one was Far From Home. Oh, Homecoming and Far From Home. I thought those worked, you know, and I didn't think they dishonored the idea of Spider-Man, and I'd say, you know, of the Spider-Man movies that exist, they're probably... Yeah, they're they're probably ideal so far until something better comes along, right? Mm-hmm. Like I I don't know if you agree or disagree with that notion, but um, no, I heck, agree. I now, maybe I was just being a little bit harsh because I was still oh, okay. I was still feeling uh you know annoyed by how much love this movie's getting. Yeah, but I, I I'd say I mean, those the first fr- two movies were better by far than this yeah one. yeah the, the first two were, were definitely good movies they were good spider-man yeah. movies I, I wouldn't yeah. i still don't think that they're the definitive spider-man movies just because i don't know like it they're, they're just so tied into the mcu at this point that i i don't really feel like we get a chance to to see spider-man purely on his own and why he's oh. special you know yeah i guess i guess that's why yeah, I guess that's why I, I I just don't necessarily like even though I acknowledge those as as great Spider-Man movies, I I guess it's they're not Craven's Last Hunt or anything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we yeah. We'll 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 discuss that actually in a little bit uh when we get deeper into the movie, uh, just as a bit of back matter, but yeah, I hear you. Yeah. I think the thing with No Way Home is the reason why I I was able to enjoy this movie was because No Way Home does have some good emotional beats. Yeah. Probably my biggest problem with the movie is is the plot, the plotting. There's just a lot of things that 
I felt were done pretty lazily or without yeah. very much thought. The logic of it doesn't hold up if you scrutinize it. Yeah. And, and it doesn't adhere yeah, you, to its own internal logic. Uh, yeah. By yeah, the rules it, that it sets up for itself. Yeah, and, exactly. Sure. And, and in addition you can, to that, oh, go ahead. And you can make the argument that it's just a superhero movie, and you know, you can they're just purely for fun. But those kind of stories, to me, like fun superhero stories, they're they're pretty much a dime a dozen, you know. Like we're yeah, we live in a a time where there are so many superhero movies and TV shows that I can't even I don't even have time to watch them all, you know. Yeah. And on top of that, of course, there's the comics. You have like so many great comics out there, superhero comics that. If I'm going to read or watch a superhero story, I want it to be something more than just purely entertaining. You know, like if it's just purely entertaining, yeah. okay, fine. But am I going to reread it or rewatch it? The chance, unless it's like crazy fun, yeah. The chances of that are a little bit lower, you know? Yeah. I also think that that's kind of a pretty weak, like, deflection as well. Um, you know, just because something is superhero fun or whatever, uh, doesn't necessarily mean, like, I feel like you could just use that for any kind of scrutiny and, you know, it, 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 it serves as an excuse for like lazy writing, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. anytime you point out something and you're just like, uh, and, and you think, hey, it it doesn't stand up to muster or it doesn't make any sense. Um, I mean, if that's the case, then, you know, there aren't any stories that matter because, you know, they're all just for fun or they're all just for entertainment, right? So I, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily buy that as an answer to that. Like, there still has to be some degree of... Uh, consistency and quality that exists there, you know, I I, I can't I, I'm willing to suspend my belief and my uh, my logic even to some degree, but if the movie begin, gets to a point where it, it contradicts itself or where uh, and this was some of the issues that I had with the movie, but where characters are behaving in ways that are just nonsensical you know mm-hmm. just doing things mm-hmm. that don't necessarily make sense or behaving in ways that are just straight up illogical like i can't abide by that you know yeah uh, it's, it, it's hard it makes it me. hard to take seriously it really does and i'd i'd have to say that this movie suffers from some of that although i will agree that uh some of the emotional beats are pretty moving and I would even say that for me, I think initially after completing, after watching the movie, my first thoughts were pretty, pretty harsh and pretty negative. But as I sat and thought about some of the ideas more, I do think that they had some pretty interesting ideas, but it just felt like they were willing to sacrifice execution for expediency, you know, 
Um, mm-hmm. Instead of up. honing in on those ideas, they wanted to show the spectacle. They wanted to give the fans what the fans want. Yeah. And they didn't want to work towards getting to that place where it would be satisfying. They they preferred to just speed it up just so you could get to the point where you get you would get the fan service payoff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, that that's how I'd put it. It's just because there, there were obviously, like you said, even in the commercials, there were obviously fan service elements that they were uh, leaning very heavily into. Mm-hmm. But but those things have to be earned. Otherwise, it doesn't. Otherwise, it 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 doesn't really. There's no real emotional payoff, you know? Yeah. If everything just happens, but how how they all culminate ends up being either stupid or ridiculous, what's the point? Yeah, yeah. And I think this movie kind of straddled that line because it 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 didn't get so ridiculous where I couldn't buy any of the emotional beats. Yeah. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly during the the emotional beats, I I there was a part of my mind that was just thinking Yeah. You know, I, I couldn't get the rest of it out of my mind either, is what I'm saying, you know? Like there's there's like there was this tension between them trying to tell an emotional story about what makes Spider Man special, but they're compounding it with all this fan service kind of stuff. Yeah. Which I think most people find fun or entertaining. You know, that's what the fans would, most fans want, I suppose, but it's not really what I want. And I, I just want something for myself one day, man. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't, I, I think in and of itself, it's not all that I want, you know, like as much as we harp against the idea of fan service, we're not completely uh, immune to it. Like there are elements of fan service that I enjoy, but again, yeah. it, I mean, I'll, I'll even admit that there were bits of fan service in in this movie that that made me smile. Yeah, yeah, but, for sure. For but sure. a movie, a movie what? or a story, it it can't just be a series of fan service moments, you know? Absolutely. Like, that's not how you build a story. Maybe yeah. that's how you build a piece it's of entertainment. But yeah, the, like. Yeah, I, we can get into it later when we uh, go into spoilers, man. Um, yeah. Do we still have? Do you still have anything you want to say before we go into spoilers? Uh, no, I think we've given our general impressions, and um, you know, uh, yeah, I'm satisfied with what what we've said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess it sounds like we're we're both lower on this movie than than uh, some of the other marvel movies this year would you say this was your out of the four that came out this year is is this the one that's your least favorite or did you still like this more than shang chi um if i had to be perfectly honest i i'd probably say i like this more than shang chi okay okay yeah yeah uh 
Yeah, yeah. Um, but I will also say that watching this, it, <laughs> I did have a couple of thoughts. Um, for whatever reason, it did make me more appreciative of Eternals, for one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like, that was definitely a thought that I had while I was watching this was just, I, I, I was definitely more appreciative of Eternals after the fact. And, well, I, I'll save the second thought for once we get into spoilers, but yeah. Okay. So shall we do it? Is it spoiler time? I, I well, uh, yeah, let's do it. Let us spoil this sucker. Okay, so moving moving forward from here, if you guys haven't watched Spider-Man No Way Home, you should probably watch it before you listen to the rest of this episode. Or if you just don't care about what happens in the story, then just listen to us. We'll probably we'll probably uh say something that will make enough sense if you have a thesaurus or a, a Ouija board. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Let's let's get to it. Here's a question, Albert. But did you detect any particular comic book influences on this movie yeah so watching it i i think this the most obvious influence well i i guess i'd have to say there were two um one was definitely uh something like one more day by j michael straczynski i mean he's even credited for it um they uh, I, what do they do acknowledge him in the special thanks i i think so towards i remember you know staying towards the end of the movie and uh he was well him and a bunch of other writers were included but uh an artist an artist yeah but i i don't think they i forget if they specifically said it was one more day but j michael straczynski was uh was uh was mentioned so yeah the credits don't ever mention specific stories or anything yeah, but I assume that if he his name was listed, and just based on context, uh, it's a safe bet to say that they, you know, uh, adapted some some ideas from One More Day. Uh, I, I might want, even want to talk say a little some, bit about One More Day. Well, uh, well, okay. Let me get to the other influences real quick. Uh, okay. I was gonna also say something like back in black but that's all kind of part and partial with one more day and uh and i think the other strong influence if i had to be if i had to say would probably be something like and this isn't even from the comics not well i guess this is uh comics imitating movies imitating comics or whatever but i i want to say that there's an influence of uh Maybe some Spider-Man into the multiverse a little bit, but I'll I'll get into my thoughts on that later. But into the Spider-Verse. Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, one more day was a story. Uh, it was a big Spider-Man event that uh, they did. I I don't remember specifically when. Um, it must have you been have around years. 2006 or 2007, like right after Civil War. Yeah, 2006, 2007. And uh, you mentioned Civil War. So the big thing about Civil War was 
it was a story where you had uh, the superhero community going to war against itself, uh, where you have um, superheroes who are who've decided to register with the government and superheroes who are against that. And one of the big fallout moments from that was Spider-Man revealing that he was Peter Parker to the whole wide world. Mm-hmm. You know, sound familiar, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, One More Day was a story that spun out from that where the consequences of Peter Parker revealing his identity to the world was that eventually the wrong people get that information and go after him and his loved ones and aunt may ends up getting severely hurt uh you know in order to uh she ends up getting severely hurt by these actions by this uh this attack Mm -hmm. and peter parker uh as a result he uh you know he goes crazy not crazy but he goes on a tear and eventually he he's just filled with grief about the fact that his actions have cost him the the well-being of a loved one. So, you know, like any sane, reasonable person, he uh, decided that the way to resolve his issue was to make a deal with the devil because that can't turn out badly, right? <laughs> It's a pretty funny concept. <laughs> yeah. So he makes a deal with the devil to uh, restore his secret identity. But, you know, ordinarily... Technically, I, th- I think his, his deal with Mephisto was, was purely to save Aunt May at the cost of his marriage with Mary Jane. But I well, guess I the consequence of that, that was that everybody forgot his identity. Right, right. Yeah, I was going to say that you would think that Mephisto being Mephisto would make a deal for his soul, but you know, his, uh, he wanted his his marriage. He wanted his marriage, you know, like, I don't know. It's kind of funny to think about. On some level, I can understand that. I mean, if, if if everybody (laughs) around me was a happy, loving couple and they wanted something from me, I would tell them I'd give it to them (laughs) as long as they, sacrifice their marriage and their love for each other (laughs) but that's the funny thing right like i at that point (laughs) when can we just start bargaining for random things like i would like to trade my integrity i don't know what i could get for it i assume a bus token (laughs) (laughs) or perhaps my ability to see the color red I would trade that for a PS5. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> I'm just going to keep trading things just to get more stuff. Uh, I will trade my sense of smell for, I don't know, a horse. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, if we're just going to start trading arbitrary, like, things, sure, I can make things up. <laughs> My knowledge of who the 32nd president of the United States was. <laughs> um, yeah, it it's uh, it it's was a silly. Pr- One more day was a pretty reviled storyline. Yeah, pretty Which, understandable reasons. It was it was basically just an excuse for Marvel to annul 
Peter's marriage with Mary Jane. They wanted to go back to that kind of old 60s and 70s style of Spider-Man stories where Spider-Man was single and just doing his own thing without having to yeah. be weighed down by, you know, having a wife. Yeah. See, let that be a lesson. If you get married, you can't do things anymore. Marvel. They hate marriages. Exactly. <laughs> but um yeah, uh yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Like I think for decades after Spider-Man got married to Mary Jane, I don't know. I I never ran into anyone that personally believed this, uh the idea that they preferred Spider-Man single, but apparently that was a thing. Like I grew up in the era where Spider-Man was married to Mary Jane, so that was what I was, that was accustomed my default. to. Yeah, that was my default Spider-Man, exactly. I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't grow up with him as the high school kid or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, um, No Way Home basically took those, some of those elements and decided to make that the foundation of their story here, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, they they wanted to do a story where at the end of uh, Far From Home, they yeah, they revealed to the world that he was Peter Parker, and obviously he was going to have to deal with the repercussions of that. And uh, in this film, what we saw was that instead of going and making a deal with the devil, he, he goes to Doctor Strange, he makes a deal with uh, not a deal, but he enlists the help of Doctor Strange to use his powers to essentially mind wipe everyone on Earth. But as a result of really just incompetence and mucking around with things that they shouldn't be mucking around with, mm-hmm. they ended up causing their own misfortune, causing their own problems in this movie. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so like speaking of like issues that I had with this movie, that was uh, I mentioned earlier on at the top of it that a lot of the characters were behaving in ways that were illogical or didn't make too much sense or were the source of their own problems. And I'd say this was a situation where that was definitely the case. So he goes to Doctor Strange and he enlists his help. and. You know, while he's asking for... Doctor Strange 1 was, like, all too willing to accommodate him, which was kind of weird to me. And uh, 2, he, uh, when as he was doing the spell, Peter Parker was just kind of messing around and, you know, throwing all these extra uh, bells and whistles into it, which ultimately ended up being the thing that messed up the spell, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So it just... Yeah, that irked me. <laughs> Yeah, it was a situation where if they had just slowed down a bit, if Doctor Strange had slowed down a bit and explained to Peter what the spell was and how it would work, and they if he you know, had just asked the right questions, <laughs> yeah, if they just if he just slowed down and they discussed it a little bit, they could have avoided pretty much everything that happened. Yeah, yeah. But there, there was no time for adult discussion or you know, common sense. It was just. Yeah. Oh, you want this to happen? I'm going to make it happen. And then, yeah. uh, you know, he's casting the spell. And while he's casting the spell, 
Peter's just babbling, you know, oh, I want to do this. Can you can you let her remember, let make, him remember? Yeah. yeah. Can you it, make sure that my girlfriend still remembers me? Can you make sure that my best friend still remembers me? How about my Aunt May? How about my uh, old dead boss's assistant? <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> like, he just kept throwing things in there, and it was like, you, you realize you're messing with powers that are far beyond you on so many levels like is this really yeah. the time for that <laughs> on some level i can i can see that happening just because he's a teen he's supposed to be a teenage kid a high schooler yeah, yeah. but dr strange definitely should have known better you know like dr strange is the one that should have taken the time to explain what he was about to do explain the potential ramifications just a little bit of common sense man i just find it kind of silly whenever a story makes the characters act dumb so they can move the plot along because yeah. obviously this entire plot is so flimsy that if he had acted with a modicum of common sense and adult intellect they could have avoided all of these problems man absolutely absolutely that's yeah and that's so much of the movie, time and time again, we see just different moments that play out that way where people are just like, we'll point it out as as we go on in our discussion. But yeah, that was definitely a thing that took me out of the film and just I couldn't help but sit there and like either roll my eyes or throw my hands up. And and it just felt to me like. It's like you said, right? Uh, they wanted, or or no, it felt to me like they they were just trying to speed their way to get to the fan servicey elements. Mm -hmm. So so in order to do that, instead of like working on the plot to to build it out in a feasible way, and so that the story would occur naturally, they just had to again, they just had to make dumb the characters down in a way so that they would be the cause of their own misfortune so that they could get to the point where you would have uh, a multi-dimensional catastrophe on your hands. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. yeah. I wanted to go back, actually, uh, before we go too deep into the rest of the movie, I wanted to go back to the, to the very beginning of, the, of this movie, because it starts, essentially, it starts where the second movie ends, when Mysterio releases this footage, or I guess it's not even really Mysterio, right? It's that it was that other scientist dude who survived the battle, but you know he, the dude sends out this footage, this doctored footage of Mysterio telling the world that Spider-Man not only started the drone attack on, on a what was that? Where were they? London. Yeah. But he he yeah. But Mysterio also spoiled his identity to the whole world. And it, it's there was something about the the whole idea of that at the end of the second movie that kind of excited me for the future of Spider-Man. You know, because uh, I, I was listening to what we were saying at the end of our Far From Home autopsy, and we we kind of envisioned. At the time, uh, you know, when that movie came out, we envisioned some of the possibilities 
of the outcome of this storyline. And one of the things that we discussed was how currently we live in this age where there's a lot of disinformation spreading throughout the world, right? Like it, you know, you can just point to things like the vaccine or QAnon or the flat earth or whatever it may be. Yeah. And there are, there are people that are willing to believe all sorts of things. We just live in this very gullible world. Yeah. More so than ever for whatever reason. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, dude, (laughs) the other day I talked to somebody who told me that getting the COVID vaccine means that you're injecting yourself with nanotechnology, which will then allow Satan to turn you into a walking 5G receptor and control you. And we all know how much I hate nanotechnology. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I extra hate the vaccine now. (laughs) That's such a weak story point. That's such a weak story device. How could you use that? Man, there are people that that think that lizard aliens secretly run the world and have taken positions of power in finance, Hollywood, and the government. Yeah. Like, yeah. There, there was a guy that that uh, killed his own kids because he thought they had serpent DNA. Yeah. Yeah. This, so we, uh, we live in this insane time, man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just social media and uh just random uh social media personalities are just exacerbating the situation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah but to back your point, to my point about the movie it's 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 like the end of far from home kind of made those ideas come to life because it's like now you got you know who knows what people believe in in the mcu like the, the inhabitants of the mcu do they do they believe that Spider-Man is Peter Parker? Do they even care? Like, is are they gonna are they gonna be? I don't know. Like, how will they react to that news? Right? It's like they probably know that he was part of the Avengers and did all those things, and then all of a sudden, this one video comes out. Nobody really checks the authenticity of it, uh, and it just seems like in in no way home it just seems like nobody bothers reviewing the footage or trying to verify the source or anything like that they they all pretty much the world or society generally seems to turn on him like nobody's really trying to attack him when he's walking on the street i guess but people are throwing bricks into his house yeah and there was the guy this one person that threw paint on him yeah that's true yeah, uh, you know, when he was in his spider costume. And, yeah, like, it, I don't know if there were, I don't remember any scene where he was just Peter Parker out on the street and, you know, people were trying to attack him. But whenever he showed up anywhere as Spider-Man, there was that scene in the beginning where the, the lady was trying to rip off his mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they were, I was just, I was know, just thinking about him. those scenes when he was going to school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like any of the other kids tried to fight them or anything they just pulled their phones out and i don't know made tiktok or something (laughs) sure dude i don't know social media i don't i don't know how to use i don't even know what tiktok is man i'm just i'm just saying stuff now yeah 
it's fine. You're better off not knowing what TikTok is. Your life is better without it. Yeah, I I assumed it was. Yeah. So it it's interesting to me to think that the like there's a part of me that that thinks, man, why are people in the MCU? Why are the why are the people who live in there so gullible? Why are they so quick to turn their backs on on Spider-Man? But yeah. then I look at the real world and I'm like, yeah, I guess that's I guess that's plausible. <laughs> it's like yeah, there are people that that believe in just dumb Ridiculous stuff. Ridiculous stuff. Yeah. yeah. So okay, I, I I guess I can understand why you know this uh, J Jonah Jameson Infowars site can take a hold on so many people's minds. Yeah, I was watching that scene as well, and I think when the way that it's portrayed on the screen is it's pretty over the top how people respond to it and it's it's over the top in a way where it's ridiculous and maybe even kind of silly and at first it felt like i was laughing at the way that they were responding to it but the more i think about it the more it makes me realize that it's probably closer to home then uh it's probably closer to reality than Mm -hmm. it really should be and as a result it's the silliness that i'm laughing at is more at how silly people are as or or is more how silly society is as a whole you're laughing at the absurdity of reality (laughs) yeah exactly 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 so that's kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally, man. You know, one of the funny things that we said when we were talking about Far From Home a couple years ago was that I think we were both relieved that the multiverse wasn't part of that movie because part of Mysterio's introduction was he was telling people the story about how he was from another dimension, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think we were both relieved to to realize he was just a guy with the vendetta who concocted a story. story. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, so it wasn't the real multiverse. It was just a gimmick that he was using to convince Peter Parker that, you know, he was like some, some other dimension, a hero from Uh, another dimension. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I remember you, you were telling me that you had a friend who was disappointed that Mysterio wasn't from the multiverse. Yeah. So yeah. I guess your friend's probably pretty excited about this movie, huh? I imagine. Like, I don't remember who it was at the time uh, who, who said that. But if they're a big fan of multiverses, then uh, this might be right up their alley. Are you a fan of multiversal stories in superhero comics, Albert? I think I used to be. But we're in an era where the multiverse as a concept is really in fashion. And as a result, everything is a multiversal story or everything takes place in some sort of alternate dimension, you know? And uh, Mm -hmm. I got to say, I'm pretty tired of it, (laughs) you know? 
Yeah. I'd rather, I'm just at a point where I'd much rather just have a, a straightforward superhero story or I, I'd probably even say I'd, I'd take something like a, a, a street level crime story. Oh no, I definitely would rather have just a regular street level crime fiction type of story rather than some giant multiversal battle or whatever, you know? Would you rather read a story where the X-Men fight off a wave of alternate reality versions of themselves or a story where the X-Men fight off an army of vampires? Oof. Oh, man. <laughs> Would you How rather the vampire swallow story? poison or have it injected into your bloodstream? <laughs> uh, if the if the story where they fight vampires is like five pages long, uh, I'll take that. <laughs> if it's just shorter. five pages of them just beating on vampires, I'll take that. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. yeah, I don't need any more than that. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with a good multiverse story if it's a done in one or just used for special occasions or if it's. It's cleverly constructed, like Jonathan Hickman's superhero comics. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah like you were saying, man, nowadays, everybody's using the multiverse as a crutch because there's always that hook of seeing, of saying, hey, isn't it cool if you see a version of this hero, but he's different slightly? Yeah. And and to me, like, it, I, that just gets old when you do it so often, man. Like, I, yeah. I need something a little more creative. I feel like after after something like Infinity War, they had to raise the stakes. So it went from being, you know, planetary threats and galactic threats to, well, what's bigger than that? Well, the multiverse, you know? That's how we, we raised it, raised the stakes even higher because now this is infinitesimally larger than... <laughs> the fate of one singular universe or galaxy, right? Uh-huh. I guess that's uh, plausible reasoning. <laughs> I, I personally don't buy it, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it's, it, not, it's not it's not the kind of story that I need, man. Uh, yeah, it, it just uh, hurts like, when they use the multiverse as a well and they constantly dip into it because they don't really have any other ideas. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I was just... gonna say is, go ahead. Oh, uh, and I was gonna gonna say it's it's also whack when they just rely on the multiverse as a way to drum up attention because of these alternate versions of all the familiar characters, and you just see them yeah. in these slightly uh, variation these these slight variations. It's yeah. I don't know, man. It there's. There's just something. Uh, it's a very novel silly. idea. Yeah, it's it's very novel. It's very novel. But the novelty is very short lived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if if that's the entire story, having your version of the character meet a different version of himself. Yeah. Like what 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 really is the point of that? Like, is it yeah. gonna show something? 
about him as a character or reveal something about the concept in general. Yeah. Like on I its felt own, like a lot of it's yeah, a like, lot of who times. Cares? <laughs> yeah, a lot of times it's just who cares. You know, people just want to yeah. see the I don't know, like the the banter between, you know, two people that are from different dimensions, but essentially the same person. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say, like, I feel like me and you, we we've read comics long enough where the concept of the multiverse to us isn't a new thing. Uh you know, we been trained and accustomed to it for decades now, you know, like even pretty hardened to it. Yeah, exactly. Even when they did the the earliest multiverse the story that I can think of is something like Crisis on Infinite Earths, you know? Mm-hmm. Even something like that, that's that's been around since like what was that, the eighties? Early eighties? Yeah. Like maybe yeah. 85 86 yeah so that's it's it's not a new concept to us but the thing that's different now is they're introducing this concept to movies and it's i do feel like it's generating a new kind of fan that we haven't seen before yeah um, that's true it's it's the kind of gimmick that works that appeals to a lot of the lowest kind of fanboys in comicdom, but mm-hmm. we're beginning to see that translate to the films now as we're beginning to see not fanboys in the sense that we think of when we think of like comic book fanboys, but almost like these uh, comic book movie fanboys, you know? Yeah. 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 So what I mean is, we're we're these movies have been around for so long that the kind of people who are jumping on on the on the shock value of seeing uh you know the three Spider-Mans from all three movies together in one place like they might not even be huge comic book fans but they're fans of the movies mm-hmm. and seeing those Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland all in one place is enough to get them to, you know, cream their jeans. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, it's that that's that that was another thing I was gonna mention was, um, yeah, now that they're translating it to movies, we're we're seeing this new kind of fanboydom ar- arise for the first time, and I was mm-hmm. gonna say like, on some level something like this works for movies because when when we used to read comic uh when we read comic books you know spider-man in all his different iterations it's basically just a picture right so the only time you see a crossover um where it makes sense in comic books is you it it was kind of like spider-man into the spider-verse where you would see oh this is uh spider ham and this is Spider-Man 2099, and this is Spider-Man uh, from the manga There and Spider-Gwen, and they're all going to hang out with Miles Morales Spider-Man. So you see all of them together, and it's like, that that's the differentiate, differentiation between them, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing about the movies that makes makes this novelty work is the fact that 
you do see Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. Like, they're clearly different people, right? Mm-hmm. So when you see Spider-Man as he's portrayed in different comic books, it's still just a picture of a guy. So it, it doesn't feel quite that special, right? It, it'd almost be like, you know, if you had a guest artist who drew, uh, like, Mark Bagley's Spider-Man inside of Todd, inside of a Todd McFarlane comic where you have... <laughs> Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man, you know? That that might be the closest comparison. Yeah. But I can't think of a movie that's... No, I can, I can think of one other movie that did something similar, which was J.J. Abrams' Star Trek, when you got Leonard Nimoy show up in his mm-hmm. Star Trek. So that was the first time that you saw something similar. It, it was very, like scaled down version of it but Mm -hmm. you know i i yeah other than that i can't think of any movie franchises that did anything quite to the scale that uh uh spider-man no way home did can you yeah no i i can't think of anything either actually i i I was thinking of star trek as well just as you were um but it's one of those situations where the appeal of it isn't necessarily in how the crossover impacts the story, but I think the appeal of it is just seeing these different actors interact with each other. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like like the like here's what I was thinking after I watched No Way Home. I don't know how it was in your theater. In my theater, it was uh, pretty, pretty full, pretty packed. And uh, when the when Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, when they each had their introduction in the movie, you know, people were were cheering and and making sounds and appreciation. They went ape. They just went ape in my movie theater. <laughs> they they like lost their lost their crap, dude. Like, Dang. the dude in front of me was, like, literally, like, just jumping up and down. Like, I think he grabbed his friend. That's how, like, excited he was at the prospect of seeing them all together. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm glad. I'm glad yeah. I wasn't in that theater. Because that would have just annoyed me. Yeah, because his chair hit my knee. So oh, man. <laughs> I was, like, and it wasn't even once. It happened a couple of times. So at one point, I just kicked his chair back just to <laughs> remind him that I was back there. Is, is but, there any reason why you just didn't kick him in the head? Uh, I didn't want to stand up. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. But, Good answer. Yeah. But yeah. And they were, there was just all kinds of cheering and hooting and hollering. And, and uh, I mentioned this earlier, like me and you, we're not immune to the fan servicey aspect of mm-hmm. of this movie. I I admit that there was there was a part of me that derived some fun from the from seeing those three Spider Men together in that yeah. scene. Yeah, but, it was fun. It was fun. Yeah, yeah, but I can't help but look at all of the people that were like just losing it over this 
like in in just ridiculous ways and i can't help but look at them and in that moment question them for 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 what for what it is that they're seeing right like mm-hmm. i was sitting there you know pretty measured and silently appreciative of what i was seeing but when they started losing it and like cheering and hollering uh i can't help but it's the sort of situation where it just reminds me why fanboys ruin things for me, you know, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it just made all of the all of the issues that I had up to that point in the movie that much more glaring. So we get to that point in the movie, and I'd even say that the introduction of the two Spider-Mans in that scene, I, I thought it was pretty clumsy, if I had to be quite honest. Uh, so what happens up to that point is this, the, the sinister five, not even six, cause they didn't want to <laughs> yeah. shell out the money for that sixth actor for whatever reason. Um, they, at this point they've escaped, uh, we're, we're at the, the all is lost moment in the Spider-Man movie and Tom Holland, his, his spirit's broken and, uh, uh Ned leads and, uh, uh, Mary Jane, or not Mary Jane, uh, MJ, they're together and, you know, they're just trying to figure out what to do. And uh, in the scene, Ned has Doctor Strange's, you know, portal opening artifact, whatever it's called. Uh, and he's just messing around with it. And he accidentally conjures up a spell that by by asking to see peter parker and he opens a portal and who should jump out but peter parker and then he takes off his mask and it's revealed that it's andrew garfield Mm -hmm. and you know and the crowd goes crazy and you know it's fun it was fun to see andrew garfield and i'll i'll even go so far as to say that i even enjoyed that second spider-man movie from the amazing spider-man uh dude yeah movies. i like both of those movies man yeah and so it was good to see him again but you know i i can't help but pick apart that scene because again so he he just accidentally uses magic to open the portal to bring that spider-man to their universe mm-hmm. and and uh andrew garfield spider-man just takes off his mask and just reveals himself to these two kids. Like there was like just so much wrong in that moment where I was just like, why are you guys okay with this? Like, you know, what what do you think Andrew Garfield should have done? You think he should have just kept his mask on? I, I kind of (laughs) do. Like, I know that they wanted to get to that point where like they reveal that he's Andrew Garfield, but it, like it didn't make sense to me that he would just automatically take off his mask right then and there to these two strangers at that. I guess was, his spider sense wasn't warning him, so he was able to trust them. That's true. If I was Spider-Man and there were two uh, thin teenagers, or not thin, but you know, young teenagers in front of me, I, I suppose I could tell myself that if anything goes wrong, I could kill these two kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, you do have super strength, so yeah, that's, totally. It's always an option. I have the proportionate strength of a spider. 
I could just crush their skulls. Totally, it would mean nothing to me. Crush their skulls and then lay your eggs in them. <laughs> exactly. So now that you've mentioned that, that does make sense. Andrew <laughs> Garfield had every right to be confident in his in in revealing himself <laughs> to those kids. <laughs> but but here's here's what I was getting at though before, uh, before this little digression. I was saying how so much of the excitement in the movie centered around the novelty of seeing these familiar actors play their old roles in the MCU. Yeah. And again, it's fun, right? It's it's fun, entertaining. You just get a kick out of seeing Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire playing Spider-Man again. It kind of takes you back to the enjoyment you had when you watched their movies back in the day. Yeah. But while it's fun, is that a story? That's what I, that's the question that I had to ask. Is it is that a story? Like, think about it this way: if they were telling a story that was purely about these alternate reality Spider-Mans coming in to help Tom Holland, would we have cared if they had gotten different actors to play those versions of Spider-Man? Like, if they got some lesser-known actors who had never played Spider-Man before and they just played two different Spider-Men, <laughs> would would it like... still have had the same impact? I, I don't think so. No, but but that goes back to what I was saying earlier, where, like, when we see, uh you know, multiversal crossovers in comics, it's a very specific version of Spider-Man that's uh, crossing over. So it's like, well, I guess, okay, here here's a better example. If we saw a multiversal crossover in a comic with Batman, it'd be like, well, you have Batman, but then you also have Dark Knight Returns Batman or, you know, teaming up with him or Batman Year One Batman or, um, you know, Batman Who Laughs, Batman Who Laughs or Azrael Batman, whatever. Right. There are very specific Batman with a very specific look. And that's that's Vampire the Batman. Of that crossover. Right. Huh? Vampire, or Vampire Batman. Batman. <laughs> right. But, you know, if you just showed them all together as Bruce Wayne in a comic book. Like, all these different versions of Bruce Wayne. I mean, they're just pictures on paper, right? So, it's not very specific to any specific character or person. But there is something to the idea of seeing specifically Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland together, Mm -hmm. right? But Mm -hmm. it's a very, again, it's a very short-lived experience, you know? And if if it's I I assume that you like me, uh, I like you. That's a safe no. assumption. I like you, Albert. <laughs> I like you a lot. That's why we do this podcast, man. <laughs> why would you even question that? I meant I was still in the middle of finishing my thought, but I was gonna say I assume that if you are like me, then it's the sort of uh gimmick that requires that 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 requires that it be earned and that the payoff of it is seeing them together but what leads up to that payoff has to has to validate it right otherwise mm-hmm. otherwise it might as the the if the movie was just a a giant empty room and then Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland walk in, and they're just hanging out in that room together, and that's what the whole movie was, that by itself does nothing for me. 
they're together. And you might even be able to say, well, they're all Spider-Mans together in that room. But by itself, it, it's nothing, right? It would it would just be a pretty funny meme, you know? Yeah. People would yeah. make jokes about it. And yeah, I, I would even say people could have fun uh, just from the sight of that. It's Again, yeah. it goes back to the novelty of it. But yeah. is it a story? That's the question. Fan service doesn't make a story. Well, it's it it doesn't make a story. And I would also add that fan service shouldn't be the thing driving the story either. And exactly. I would say in this case, fan service I mean, I don't think it was the most egregious version uh of it that we could have seen, but I still think it was pretty obvious that fan service was driving this movie. Mm-hmm. You know? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of fan service, I'll share one piece of fan service that I I really did get a kick out of, and that was seeing Charlie Cox back as Matt Murdock. Yeah, for sure. Pepper was, was... Pumped, out, pumped about it too, man. I hear her barking. Yeah. <laughs> It was really unexpected, and it was a nice little scene, and just seeing him be, uh, you know, in the Marvel Universe, officially in the Marvel Universe, just for a little bit. That was great. I loved that, man. Yeah. Do you think that they'll uh, do any more with him? I think they will. I mean, I don't know if his uh, scope is going to be huge or anything, but... uh, you know, again, again, they know they know what the people want at this point. And when when Daredevil, when uh, Charlie Cox's Matt Murdock showed up in that scene, I will say that the the audience went pretty crazy for it. <laughs> you know, like Pepper. Yeah, like Pepper. But yeah, that. The the funny thing was that happened earlier on in the movie and and I will say that it was a good little moment at the beginning but as the movie progressed and as more of the fan service elements began to play out I was definitely I I think I was just getting more numb to it <laughs> quite honestly mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um yeah yeah, I think there were a lot of plot elements that were either lazy or just not thoroughly developed. And it it's it kind of hurts because number 1, you have all these fan servicey elements compounded by a plot that isn't extremely log- that isn't very logical and just kind of undercooked, right? Because they they try to take shortcuts to to expedite the fan service so those those are two things in conjunction that that hurt the movie. Um, I, I want to give a couple examples of what I thought were some plot elements that didn't make a whole ton of sense. We already mentioned earlier how when Doctor Strange was casting the spell, why wouldn't he talk things out and explain the spell and the situation and the ramifications to Spider-Man? Right, like they could have avoided a lot of a lot of problems. So you know that that's one thing. You know, very simple 
very simple thing that any logical adult would have done in that situation is just to slow down and explain to the young person what could go wrong and he didn't do that so that's yeah that that's kind of hard to overlook it's hard to believe that dr strange has a phd in anything (laughs) right right and then secondly here's another thing that i it it confused me a little bit but the whole idea of after the so like when the spell went wrong and these villains started pouring into the mcu dr strange said that because of peter's mistake while strange was casting the spell it was drawing in people from the multiverse who knew that spider-man is peter parker yeah that was the rule that they had established for themselves Mm -hmm. so it's been a while since i've watched all of those other five spider-man movies but did electro sandman and lizard all know that spider-man was peter parker yeah that's a good question and uh initially when i thought about it the the one that i i thought of the most was uh uh, sandman but uh i did look that one up on wikipedia and it did turn out i don't know if it explicitly said that he knew that spider-man was peter parker but uh, there was a revelation at the end of the movie that, um, you know, Spider-Man revealed that Sandman was the man who had murdered his Uncle Ben. So you you could argue that there's some familiarity there. Mm-hmm. Um, like maybe you could tell yourself that, you know, he killed Uncle Ben and he was so traumatized by the entire experience that you know he read up on it on the news and he learned that uncle ben had a nephew named peter parker or whatever right Mm, so yeah okay like this just doesn't feel really worth it (laughs) like i shouldn't have to do that not none of us should have to do that for for our entertainment, you know? Yeah, yeah. As and for I, Electro... I was thinking oh. about Electro, too, because at the end of the fight at the Statue of Liberty, after Electro got... After he lost his powers, he had that scene with uh, Andrew Garfield, and Andrew Garfield took off his mask, and it's it seemed like Electro was surprised at who he was, yeah. right? Yeah. Or was that yeah, just yeah, me? Yeah. yeah. No, no, I got that same impression too. Like I hadn't thought about it until you mentioned it, but yeah, you're right. If this uh if this spell was drawing people from um the multiverse and their rule that they established for for themselves is that these people would know would have to know uh who Peter Parker was, then why would he <laughs> the because the scene that you're describing is at the end uh, when when Jamie Foxx is talking to his Spider-Man, who's Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield isn't wearing his mask at that point. And 
I forget what the joke exactly was, but uh, Jamie Foxx essentially says, you know, with all your style and all your swagger or whatever, uh, I, I was I always thought you were black or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And that that was kind of the joke of it. Uh, and you could argue maybe that's a throwaway line. Um, another way to look at it is it might be another fan service uh, moment because... To you know, to for, for those of us, yeah, exactly. For those of us watching the movie, we we know that oh, he might be talking about Miles Morales, so maybe someday we'll see a live action Miles Morales or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, but just on the face of it, it doesn't really make sense. Like, if he knew who Peter Parker was, then why would he be surprised in that moment? Yeah, right. So. Mm-hmm. So in that scene, it it contradicts its very own internal logic that it set up for itself. Yeah, and on top of that, the post credit scene had Tom Hardy's Eddie Brock or his Tom Hardy's Venom. Yeah. And like, why would he enter the MCU? Because Spider-Man doesn't even exist in his world, so he wouldn't have any knowledge of Peter Parker. Yeah, I think for that one, we might have had to have watched uh, Venom too. The, the movie that just came out this year and neither of us watched it. So I think it's safe to say that it's not something that I care about enough to think about. <laughs> it's, it's definitely not something that I'm going to like waste my time or energy trying to make sense of even less so than some of the other things on, on, on that happened in the movie, you know? Yeah, I mean, if it was if if that was just supposed to be a gag, okay, it was it was a gag. It's uh, you know, some there's something funny about seeing Tom Hardy at the end of the movie. Okay, yeah, I, I get it. But if if it's supposed to have some kind of ramification, that then that's weird too because we did see that after he returned to his native universe, there was a piece of the symbiote that <sighs> was left behind. The symbiote. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I don't know. I, I suppose one could say that we'll have to wait till the next Venom or Spider-Man movie in order to fully understand what it is that they're trying to do. But mm-hmm. again, I don't think I care enough about Venom to try to make sense of it, to spend my personal energy to try to make sense of it. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Here's another plot element that I questioned, and this is kind of a this is a smaller one, but it, it it definitely made me scratch my head for a good while. So when they were capturing the supervillains and putting them in these little prisons in the Sanctum Sanctorum's Undercroft, why did Doctor Strange and Peter allow MJ and Ned to basically you know stand in front? of the jails of the cells and kind of be there. They're pretty much exposed, you know, like they, they not only were within talking distance of all of these potential psychopaths, but they literally introduced themselves and, you know, shared their names and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Where it it makes me wonder where are their survival skills, man? Yeah. Sorry. What'd you say? I said, these are hardened criminals and murderers. Do you really want them knowing what your face looks like or what your full name is? 
you might as well have given them your address. Yeah. Like, if they were to escape at any point, which they're likely to do because that is all they're going to try and do, <laughs> then when they do get out, they're very likely to kill you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, that's a little bit questionable, man. I mean, okay, maybe they're in high school, they don't know better, but I'm pretty sure even if I was in high school, I wouldn't have known better. Yeah, yeah. And even even the idea that, I get it, This that these are Peter's friends and he wants them to be along for, like, support, but even so, like, that that feels the the degree to which they were involved was a lot higher mm-hmm. than it should have been it didn't really make too much sense to me at all uh like you know it, in the first spider-man movie uh with, with tom holland in homecoming um ned leads you know he calls himself the guy in the chair right and mm-hmm. his level of support was from the safety of a computer lab and from a from a with his cell phone he was providing support to Spider-Man or to Peter Parker mm-hmm. uh with you know logistics things like that whatever small things right but mm-hmm. he wasn't like actively involved with the supervillains he wasn't there wasn't any real point where he was in harm's way at all, you know? So. Well, wasn't there that one scene when they were in the parking lot during the prom or the dance when he uh, almost crossed paths with the vulture? Was there? I don't remember. I could be misremembering it. Well, okay. But even so, it wasn't, even if that was the case, it wasn't like Peter had actively asked him to be there or put him in harm's way. You know, yeah. so that doesn't make too much. It doesn't make too much sense that Peter would invite them into this dungeon with the rest of them. You know? Yeah. I don't even know what the point of that was. I mean, I guess to give them a few more scenes, I suppose. But yeah, it didn't really feel like it mattered to the plot. Yeah. I didn't they, know what they offered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They could have just been at home and, and later on, you know, Peter... Peter could have given them that cube thing to, you know, just for safekeeping or whatever. Yeah. So I, I yeah, I, I really don't know how to explain why they were in the undercroft there. Yeah. Yeah. And there were quite a, a few other scenes where, again, just time and time again, we just see things that don't make too much sense in terms of like people's behaviors and actions. Like speaking of that, magic box thing mm-hmm. so at one point dr strange's uh creates a, a containment unit for this corrupted spell that he created and he found a way to supposedly uh okay so when when the spell goes wrong the the sinister five end up coming into the universe and he tries to correct the spell using this containment unit and but before he can you know complete the spell and push the button uh spider-man gets into a fight with him because you know he 
his conscience tells him that he doesn't want them to he doesn't want the supervillains to return back to their dimensions only to get killed you know right so he he takes it upon himself to actually save them but eventually things end up going wrong the villains you know they don't break loose but they unleash themselves upon the world and that didn't make too much sense to me like so you know what ends up happening is there there's so much here to unpack so what ends up happening is uh peter parker goes to aunt may and aunt may convinces him that he she has to, to, take... to get to she tries to get him to do the right thing and the right thing yeah. is to help people yeah he she convinces him to take it upon himself to cure the villains right mm-hmm. so it's not just saving innocent civilians from from their from from these supervillains now he should take it upon himself to cure the supervillains of their afflictions so that they can, you know, become normal functioning people again, right? Right. So so, you know, in the one scene he, when while they're all in prison, he 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 essentially makes a bargain with them. He he tells them, "I want to try to fix you guys so that you can go back home and you don't have to die." And they all agree, and then they sneak out of the magic uh, dungeon, and they go to uh, Happy's apartment where they work on the cures uh, for all of them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, a, you know, a chemical antidote to the Green Goblin serum, or uh, an energy dissipator for Electro, mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever for each of them, right? Yeah. And it was just... It was a scene that didn't make any sense to me because Spider-Man just got done fighting for his life with each of these villains. And now he's just going to make a gentleman's bargain with each of them to (laughs) leave their cells. I'm going to unlock all five of you all at once and we're going to get out of here and work on curing you. There's no chance you'll try to kill me together once I let you out, right? Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't the smartest thing to do. It didn't make any sense to me at all. Strategically, it was super dumb. Yeah. And then, so what ends up happening is they go and uh, they they make, uh, you know, they're able to fix Dr. Octopus and, uh, you know, restore his his mind. But Norman Osborn goes crazy, and as a result, the rest of them all go nuts. And, um, you know, a big battle happens, and Aunt May ends up dying from from the battle. And this is the thing that, the other thing that didn't make sense to me. So once they see on the news, there's this scene where MJ and Ben are watching the news as they've just found out that things have gone wrong. Mm-hmm. Instead of just pushing the button and sending the ball back right then and there, they, you know, they still were waiting for to hear back from Peter, you know? Yeah, yeah. They were very like, optimistic. What? I mean, maybe that says more about me, but if I had seen that on the news that all five of them went crazy and were, like, loose in the world, I would have pressed that thing, like, immediately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, totally, man. Like that. Yeah, I don't know. Like it. It really makes me wonder wh- whether like I'm the odd man out for thinking that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean that's that's the common sense way of approaching the situation. Yeah. Like if, if we put ourselves in in their shoes, that that's what we have we would have done. But then I guess it it goes back to like fantasy or or movie logic, like in a horror movie when you have people instead of getting in the car and driving away, they run into the dark house and try to hide. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's it's they they do the illogical thing because if they if they do the logical thing, then there is no more story. You know, everything gets resolved yeah. a little too neatly. So yeah. they kind of have to do the silly thing just to keep the story moving. Yeah. And that, that's yeah, that's exactly the problem I have with No Way Home is because there are just so many of these contrivances. It 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 made it hard to, well, it made it so that I I couldn't love the movie, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the best way to put it. Like, I don't know if I wanted to go into this. If I wanted to walk away, uh, no, I I think it's fair to say that I don't go into any movie like hoping to hate it. Like I want like my the investment of my time and energy to be rewarded. So when you watched Batman v Superman, you wanted to like it? Uh, uh, yeah, I think so. I like I didn't want to walk out of it. I didn't go into it with the explicit intent of hating it. Oh, it just it just happened that not, way. I did not know that. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but there's, there's a whole bunch of these, um, another thing that I, I'd point to is, uh, you know, the idea that at, at one point, Dr. Strange is about to send all the villains back to their dimensions and he gets into an argument with Peter where, you know, um, you know, Peter's decided that he wants to save the to to cure the villains, and him and Doctor Strange get into a fight. And I, I don't, I, I'd really question whether Spider-Man survives that fight at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, the way that he won the fight, how, how, you know, in the in the mirror dimension or whatever it's called, he used his I, geometry skills, man. Yeah. I, I don't know if he can just take webbing and smash two universes together. I, I don't know if that's how that works. In fact, I'm pretty skeptical of it. He's the master of the mathematical arts. That trumps okay. being a master of the mystic arts. Sure, sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if I have to believe that. Uh, yeah, but Speaking that was... Of, uh, that was the, yeah, speaking of the mystic arts, I was also going to bring up Wong because Wong shows up pretty briefly in the movie before they even cast the spell. And we get this stray bit of dialogue that tells us Wong is officially the Sorcerer Supreme because of a technicality that Doctor Strange had been gone for five years when he was when Thanos killed him. But yeah. here's the thing, if Wong is truly the Sorcerer Supreme, where was he while everything was going down? Like, wouldn't yeah. the Sorcerer Supreme 
the Sorcerer Supreme is supposed to be the protector of this reality, right? So why wouldn't he be aware that there was a tear in the dimensional fabric? Yeah, I don't know. That's, was he just it's, was he it's, just too busy singing karaoke with Shang-Chi and Katie at the karaoke <laughs> joint? It was obviously more important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of felt I like they know. disrespected Wong in this movie, man. He should have had if they were gonna do all that, he should have had a little bit more to do. Yeah, that that entire line where uh, Doctor Strange talks about how uh, Wong became the Sorcerer Supreme, but as a technicality, I I was like, that's a that's a pretty bitchy thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> it was like that is passive aggressive <laughs> i know man like he forgot that wong was learning from the ancient Monastery. one yeah years before dr strange ever got there right exactly he knew all those spells before dr strange did what mm-hmm. what's up with that that's a mad disrespect dude it is man i hope wong gets more to do in the dr strange sequel yeah but i was gonna mention earlier that um one of the examples that i was thinking of uh that bothered me initially in the movie was the idea that spider-man would try to save these supervillains or cure them and the way that it was done in the movie was that by trying to cure them he wanted to save them from uh, re- returning back to their uh, home dimensions only to die. So he wanted to cure them and uh, and send them back so that they could be restored to, uh, you know, to their f- full mental health or whatever. Mm-hmm. And initially I was kind of bothered by this because at this point in the movie, all the villains were captured already all and all he had to do was send them home so i i thought it was kind of inviting just all of the trouble that would end up ensuing in, later on in the film but mm-hmm. the more i thought about it after the movie the more i actually think it's one of the ideas that philosophically makes sense when it comes to spider-man because i came to realize that it was right it was it was right in the sense that in every uh, in most of the other Spider-Man films that had come before, mm-hmm. um, you know the Tobey Maguire films and the Andrew Garfield ones, the villains did die at the end of them. And yeah, if you think about the comics ver- comic book version of Spider-Man, that would not have been the case. And this right. movie, by having Tom Holland cure all of the villains from the previous movies. It was almost a redemption of all those previous films, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was an idea that I actually walked away from the movie feeling better about. I still thought that the execution of it was kind of clunky. And I mentioned this earlier, like just the idea that he would make a gentleman's bargain with all of these supervillains and just let them out of their cages uh, in order to work on their cures. Like mm-hmm. that is massively responsible but yeah but but the, the idea the idea of him yeah the idea yeah. of him wanting to cure them yeah that that was true to to the essence of spider-man so i was fine with that i have a question about the cures as well my question is why is it that simply curing them of their 
of whatever it is that's driving them mad or curing them of their powers, why would that necessarily save their lives? Because from what I gathered through the dialogue in the film, these guys were all pulled from their home reality, like basically moments before they were, before they died in their respective movies, right? Like Dr. Octopus said that he had Spider-Man by the throat. You know, this was, I think he was describing their final battle at the end of Spider-Man 2. So uh-huh, uh-huh. from what I remember of Spider-Man 2, he ends up, I think, Spider-Man like reveals himself or you know he he learned that Spider-Man is Toby uh Peter Parker and kind of this like appeal to Dr. Octopus's better nature leads Dr. Octopus to decide that he doesn't want to like enact his plan and he ends up allowing himself Sacrifice. to die. yeah he sacrifices himself so that the city will will not be destroyed right like yeah I, th- I think that's basically what happens right yeah but so let's say in No Way Home, Dr. Octopus gets cured of his madness. So he's in control now of his own faculties and the arms are merely tools. They're not driving him to do these crazy things. But when he gets sent back to his home dimension, wouldn't he just I think get, he's still going to explode. Yeah, isn't he just going <laughs> to get sent back to the exact moment that he got pulled out? Well, but that's exactly what we're talking about here is that the movie's just chock full of these arbitrary rules that they try to establish for themselves in order to give the movie this sense of internal logic but because the rules that they established fail to live up to scrutiny yeah because it again it it makes sense that peter that tom holland peter parker would want to save the villains right and I'm, i'm just scratching my head at how curing them will save their lives yeah when they get sent back to their home dimension yeah, like that yeah. that part isn't very clear to me. It's like, are they just it gonna get? Make sense. Yeah, are they gonna get sent back to their home dimension, but also get sent back to like a different point in time in their home dimension? And then when you think about that, then you're just thinking of even more branches in the timeline because you're not just thinking of different dimensions. You're thinking about different timelines within yeah. those dimensions, and it just gets yeah. all sorts of messy. Yeah. See that, and that's why it's it's just kind of painful at that point when you start backpedaling and uh, trying to deconstruct the whole thing. It just mm-hmm. hurts your head, man, and it's just not fun anymore. Yeah, yeah. On some level, I I do think that the idea of of the of Peter trying to cure the villains is a it's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's a it's a pretty straightforward metaphor of just Peter trying to to save people, you know, because that yeah that's that's what heroes do, and I think that's you know a pretty traditional stance on heroism. Yeah, it's not necessarily always just uh you know beating up the bad guy, but it's yeah. just saving people, yeah. even if the people that need to be saved are bad people. So there's this- this was not Zack Snyder's Spider-Man. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Zack Snyder's Spider-Man would have just broken their necks. Exactly. <laughs> but, the yeah, like the the whole metaphor of Spider-Man being someone who who saves people is, it's it's honestly, you know, a beautiful thing to, to imagine. That's, that's it's the, heroic. Yeah, it's heroic. That's the escapist fantasy that I enjoy when I read superhero fiction. Yeah. 
it just doesn't seem super logical within the context of this plot. Like if you just told me the idea that is that he wants to cure them, then yeah, it, it that totally makes sense. I I totally am on board with that. Yeah. It's just how it, I just don't understand how curing them will save their lives when they go back home. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a good point that you make and uh it's a pretty big hole loophole or no, just hole in their in their story, man. Ugh. Yeah, I mean I, I don't know. Maybe maybe uh someone else who's more clever than me has thought of a a reason or maybe I missed a bit of dialogue or something, but Yeah. I don't know, man. It that was just something that that kind of irked me too about about the plot because like I Again, it goes back to the idea being solid. It's a solid Spider-Man idea. It it goes to, it captures yeah. Spider-Man's heart and his desire to to do good, but it's just flimsy when you think about it, was, it because he's still kind of so killing them. It was so clumsily executed. Yeah, exactly. It just it it, it falls flat, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but. I also wanted to mention uh, another thing that I did like about the movie. Uh, I, like, I know we're talking a lot about elements of, of it that don't work, but there were, there were a few things that I did enjoy. And, um, you know, the spectacle was still pretty, pretty entertaining. But mm-hmm. one of the things, the, the, in terms of the meta aspect of the movie, one of the things that uh, that I did enjoy was the fact that we got to see Andrew Garfield in this, and there's it felt like there was a there was a part of the movie that was kind of that that was his final third act too, because mm-hmm. he was yeah. the Spider-Man that never got a third film, and he he finally gets that third act in this movie you know and mm-hmm. there are little bits of dialogue here and there that where he talks about how it, it really felt like he felt like he was the the loser spider-man out of the three of them and yeah. we just see uh in their interactions time and time again uh the other spider-man just kind of reinsur- reassuring him and saying you know hey you're you're as good as either of us, any of us, you know. Mm-hmm. And I did appreciate that because again, I I enjoyed the Andrew Garfield movies and yeah, same here. It was good to see him get that final third act closure, even if it wasn't his own movie. But mm-hmm. I was I was glad for that 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 Spider Man got it, you know. Yeah, totally, man. I, I think I have more love for the Andrew Garfield movies than most people do. Yeah, I, same here. I personally like the Amazing Spider-Man movies more than the Tobey Maguire ones. Uh-huh. I just really liked how Andrew Garfield portrayed this moody, modern kind of loner Peter Parker, and he he was you know the really wisecracking Spider-Man. Only yeah. the weird thing about his movies was that he was playing a high school Peter Parker, and. I, I don't think he really looked like a high schooler when he was playing that character. If they just That's... made him in college <laughs> or in his early twenties, it it probably would have made more sense. I mean, but 
I felt that way about Tobey Maguire. I, I personally felt Tobey Maguire looked way older. Than, That's true too. Yeah. So I yeah. mean, Andrew Garfield at least sort of looked like a. Well, uh, I guess that's subjective, but uh, anyway, the point is, yeah, I liked I liked his movies. I liked his Spider-Man movies, and the the moment of redemption that he gets in in No Way Home is is that scene where he saves MJ when she's fallen. Oh yeah, yeah, that was an yeah. excellent. Yeah, that was that was really moment. well done. Like that that one did move me a little bit. I, I felt like yeah. There you go, man. Like, you're not the loser, Spider-Man, of the guys of the group. Exactly. Like, you, you, you got your moment. Like, for those of you who remember that movie, it ends with the death of Gwen Stacy. Like he mentions it in 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 the in uh, Far From Home, no way where he home. says that, or No Way Home, sorry, and he mentions that. He uh he wasn't able to save her, and uh, and that entire moment plays itself out again, and he does it this time. You're totally mm-hmm. right, dude. That was I, yeah, that was a great moment for him. You know. Yeah, and and when they when they land safely and like they're both crying basically. It, it it's kind of like a little bit funny, but but also like touching. You know. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. Yeah, that was that was a piece of fan service that I they they got me with that one, man. They got me. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the three Spider-Mans, like what'd you think of like how that was all executed or how they were with one another? One of the things that I enjoyed about their interactions with each other is that they got along so well. And I, I think I think it speaks to just the inherent goodness of of Spider Man. It's like yeah. I I guess uh it would have been easy to to have them have misunderstandings with each other and all get into a big fight. Yeah. But other than, you know, that brief little skirmish between Andrew and Toby, there wasn't really much, you know, like they they all figured out what was going on pretty quickly and decided to work together and yeah. they were all committed to the cause. Yeah. I did like that in the initial like first battle that they had that they weren't really coordinated with one another and that they had to sort mm-hmm. that out. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a nice touch. Um Yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense because the MCU Peter is he he was accustomed to working with the team, you know. Like the other the other ones, they never had anybody else. They they were just used yeah. to being alone. Yeah. So it makes sense that that the MCU Peter would be the one who draws them together and and gets them to coordinate their efforts. Yeah. I will admit though, um, I mentioned earlier that you know how they entered the world. How they entered Tom Holland's um, mm-hmm. reality. You know, reality was kind of clumsy because it was basically just a kid accidentally using magic to bring them into their world. Wishful thinking. 
It really, it really was. The power of um, wishful thinking. Uh, <laughs> a metaphor I mean, for the movie itself, man. <laughs> uh, a wishful thinking kid really wanted to see these guys come back as Spider-Man, and that's what wow. we got. So it's it's the ultimate fanboy film, is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, totally, man. It, I did think it was really convenient how Ned was able to use that item from Doctor Strange and just open these portals without any training. It's very yeah. convenient, don't you think? Very convenient. It just... I mean, you've talked about this before, your... Uh, th- how you don't always enjoy stories with magic because it just feels like mm-hmm. magic becomes this answer it's to everything. Yeah, it's It's very much a crutch, and... Uh, that's very much the case in this movie where magic just does everything just because, you know? It's a way mm-hmm. to circumvent rules, right? Yeah. And, uh, I, yeah, it, it's definitely the case here, and that kind of hurt it. it yeah, I, I, it takes me out of the movie uh, just, just knowing that... Yeah, even, even having Doctor Strange disappear for... A significant portion of that third act. Yeah. And only to have a comeback in that final part. It, it again, just makes him look like he's really bad at magic. Yeah, exactly. Know? It's like, come on, dude. How how could it be trapped that long? Spider-Man's webbing dissolves in an hour. Yeah, yeah. It's... Ugh. This movie did not treat Doctor Strange very well. Not at but, all. Not at all. But back to the other three Spider-Mans, I, I will admit, I, I although it was fun seeing them together, I did have semi-mixed feelings. Uh, like, there there were definitely moments where I enjoyed watching them get along with one another, and mm-hmm. there, there are some bits that were like, oh, that's kind of funny, but other times it really kind of felt like they were trying really hard to be jokey or funny about it and i didn't feel like those always hit okay okay Uh, break it down for me break it down um yeah like uh, i guess one of the main things that i was thinking of was like the scene in the lab where they you know they do that thing where no, the the web fluid thing was kind of funny i I thought it went on a little longer than it should have because it just it kind of kills the joke if you go longer than than necessary. Right. But um, I was thinking of like the scene where the three Peter Parkers were there and they were just like, oh, which Peter are you talking to? Oh, it, yeah. It just felt kind of corny, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Things like that. Um, the other thing... <laughs> Uh, so I ended up watching it with a friend today, and um, and my friend was saying that he's he felt like he spent uh he he felt like the whole movie was just a point to get the Spider Mans together, just to get the three Spider Mans together to watch them cry, because of how <laughs> many scenes involved all of them crying, and. <laughs> And that was kind of the case. It felt like there were uh, quite a few scenes where, like, I, I get it. There there are scenes where that sort of thing is called for, but there were 
there were a couple of scenes where I, I did feel that the exposition was a little heavy and uh, unnecessary in, in those last parts. Um, I was talking with my friend about it and I was saying that I felt like uh, Spider-Man into the job of working with those ensemble characters. Well, you know, oddly enough, like they covered the same kind of subject matter, but mm-hmm. they did it better, you know? Yeah. Like it was far more creative, didn't rely yeah. on the novelty of having uh, you know, familiar actors return to their roles. Exactly. Exactly. So uh one one example that I can think of was that scene where Ned accidentally opens portals and each of the Spider Man shows up, right? Yeah. Like, that just felt so clumsy to me. But in uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, it it worked because all of the other Spider-Mans came into their universe, into Miles Morales' universe, but they were just hiding out until they could get together, you know? Mm-hmm. So by the time that they're all introduced, uh, by the time they're introduced to each other, like, there's there's they're already there. There's no need to have this scene where you know, all of their portals show up and they each give their own prolonged story. Like, it's it's done more briefly, more tight, and it's more succinct, you know, the way that they did it in Into the, Spider, Into the Spider-Verse. And I just... Which is funny, because there were more Spider-People in that one, but yeah, it, it, they didn't take nearly as much exposition for it you know Mm-hmm. so you know what i was hoping for in this movie what's that if, if they were going to go full fanboy mode or full f- fan service mode they should have played the theme songs man they when toby mcguire stepped in through the portal they should have played vindicated by dashboard confessional <laughs> and they did not do that man they they messed up man it's just another another failure on their part man just yeah, another man. one to add to the list. That that was the song that they should have played. <laughs> and uh, for Andrew Garfield, like I guess they could have played that one Coldplay song when he was skateboarding. <laughs> I love that. That's that was a great scene from the Amazing Spider-Man. I mean, it might have to do because with the fact that I enjoy Coldplay and that song, but that was a great scene, man. Yeah, yeah, I like that scene. It was just a scene of him truly just being in the moment and enjoying being Spider-Man, you know? (laughs) Totally, man. Totally. Yeah, and I I think that that even carries into this movie where all all three of the Spider-Man clearly just enjoy being Spider-Man even though they've been through all sorts of hardships and, and devastating losses. None yeah. of them have given up, you know, because it seems like even in their universes, they've or time has passed and they've grown up a little bit since the last time we saw them. And yeah. none of them have quit being Spider-Man. Yeah, they're still they're still doing it. They're still fighting that fight. So it was it was just fun to see them together and to see that they get along with each other. You know, that that's that's the entertaining part i mean i I don't i still don't know if that's if that would be a story if you had different actors like if you just had 
somebody who wasn't Tobey Maguire, somebody who wasn't Andrew Garfield playing alongside Tom Holland. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I'm pretty if... sure it wouldn't hit the same way. Yeah. I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm very exactly. sure it wouldn't hit the same way. <laughs> yeah. So, so to me, just knowing that, it it does make their appearances feel more like a crutch and a novelty than than an actual story. But yeah. if, if I just yeah. shut my brain off and ignore that, I can still lose myself in the fantasy, you know? Like, I can lose myself in in the fun of seeing the the actors that that played in the movies that I enjoyed in the past, you know? You know, just yeah. to see them yeah. reprise their roles. There There is something entertaining about that. Yeah. So, so I, yeah, I, I, I guess I can respect it. I just don't think that it it... I don't think that makes the movie a great movie, you know? Yeah. It it on its own it doesn't do enough. Yeah. It, it doesn't offer enough uh to to make the experience uh a whole experience. It really yeah. doesn't. Not not in and of itself at least. Yeah. So did, one of the other did, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Go. No, I don't want to cut you off. Uh no, no. No, please. Please. Feel free. Are we really doing this? Now now you're making the joke drag on too long, man. That wasn't even a joke, but by all means, go. <laughs> what was, was your question? Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you, what did you think about Aunt May's death? Um, So the thing that I thought initially was... Uh, oh, well, not even initially, like... We've seen them try to do the death of Aunt May in in comics before, and it's always been a big mistake on their part because mm-hmm. uh, they ended up bringing Aunt May back to life because they realized she was, you know, kind of the heart of the Spider-Man books, you know? Yeah, too uh, important. Yeah, but... If we look at this third movie as, you know, the the final act in the Tom Holland Spider-Man, which I'm not even sure that that's entirely the case. I feel like they're probably going to make more Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. Yeah. At the or, very least, if they don't make another solo movie, he's probably still going to appear in some other person's movie or yeah. even TV series for all we know. I mean, I think it's pretty clear he's going to be in Venom, at least. So there's that. Okay. But but I will say that uh the way that she died here was it was stirring, you know. She I I I also thought it was an interesting move to give her the Uncle Ben moment, uh, you know, to mm-hmm. to give her the moment that is foundational to spider-man which is hearing the speech where he goes where he hears that with great power comes great responsibility you know and with uh, great power there must also come great responsibility sure <laughs> that's the actual yeah. quote man amazing fantasy 15 people always will, forget that yeah so I I I do think that that was uh pretty well done. I I was moved, you know, by Here's the thing about that. So Melissa Tomei, is that her name, Tomei? Yeah. Yeah. Like Marissa? I thought she did a Marissa, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's what I said. Oh, okay. I think, yeah. So I think the way that she played that scene and yeah, the way that she played that scene was well done and like I believed it and I thought it was a good scene. But again, it's another example of the things that led up to it just kind of irked me, right? Because again, if the villains hadn't, if he hadn't invited them all over to his house to do this thing and directly put her in harm's way, then uh, yeah, none of this would have happened, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it's it was a stirring moment, and it, it was interesting to see her get that, uh, to see her give the speech that uh, is foundational to what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man, but mm -hmm. all the stuff that preceded it was just so... I mean, it just didn't feel right to the mm -hmm. point where it taints that moment to some degree, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can understand where you're coming from. Yeah, because it, it, on its own, it would have been a good scene. You yeah, know? It, was, and, it was really moving. Yeah, but because of the way that again it's an example of they wanted the payoff of that scene they wanted to get to a point in that story obviously they had thought it out enough where we want to have aunt may be the one to give him the speech that inspires him right mm -hmm. so we have to so we know that in the story she's going to die but how do we get to that place where she dies you know and that's the way that they did it just was just such a rush that they again they sacrificed uh what's it called they sacrificed uh uh um execution, logic? execution? they they sacrificed execution for expediency mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and yeah it, it in my opinion it hurts that moment it, it kind of felt like they tried to mitigate that by having her, by giving her enough time in her dying breaths to basically tell Peter that she doesn't regret anything that they did and that, that he's doing the right thing. Yeah, maybe, like, but, you know, if they could have changed all that stuff so that she didn't have to die, why wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Right. Like you know what you know what I was thinking when uh when that scene happened though when what when Green Goblin's glider crashes into her or slams into her like when Tell that me. when that thing slammed into her I was like oh dang she's she's got to be dead like that thing hit her so yeah. hard there's no it way that she could have survived and and then and then a couple moments later. You know, she got she, up. She was. Fine she gets for a back up. Bit. Yeah, she's walking around, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. "What the? This is." No, I, I thought the same thing. I thought the same thing. I was like, <laughs> when that happened, I was like, "She should be super dead." <laughs> Seriously, man. Yeah. It, it, like, if if she had survived that, that that would have been like that time when when Thanos slapped Captain America, and Captain America didn't turn into paste. Yeah. Yeah, he should have just been two legs and a stain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I guess she had enough 
internal injuries that uh, it ended up killing her. But somehow she she was able to have the ability to give Spider-Man a couple more a couple more words before passing on. Yeah, yeah. But Would yeah, you... that that was a moving scene. Yeah. What'd you think of the villains in the movie? Mm, definitely felt like Green Goblin got the most attention. Like he, they made him scary. That yeah. makes sense because I think I think Green Goblin should be scary. The old, the old Spider-Man, the Tobey Maguire one. I remember, I remember that one. I haven't watched it in a long time, but. I remember it not being very scary because he just looked funny. He looked kind of like a Power Ranger. Yeah. But he I think a pretty goofy looking uh costume. Yeah, yeah. But I think in this one the way that Willem Dafoe played him, it maybe I maybe he he did the same thing in the old Spider-Man movie, but I just felt like he he felt crazier in this one, you know? Well, the other thing was he didn't have his mask and you they actually gave him his hood and the goggles, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So what you were seeing was just him. You Like, he was able to make facial expressions, you know? And that was more menacing than some big plastic goblin mask. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. So I, I, did, I did really like how they portrayed Norman Osborn in this movie. Yeah. Uh, Doctor Octopus, he had that really great scene on the freeway or on the bridge in the beginning of the of the, near the beginning of the movie. That I thought was a pretty good action scene, like the kind of thing that you would want to see if Spider-Man was fighting Doctor Octopus. The uh, I don't know if the cure for him made a whole ton of sense to me but i do think that that was what had happened to him in in the sam raimi movie yeah like the the, arms were controlling him or something right yeah the control node at the back of his neck was the thing that burnt out yeah yeah I, i guess but it did feel weird to just have him like all of a sudden be super friendly yeah 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 like that was a total 180 it was like he got a personality change to be honest watching that scene i kept when you know when when they when they changed him and he was just kind of this happy smiley guy i kept expecting him to take one of his arms and snatch that control uh the control the things that was keeping his arms locked mm-hmm. uh the the remote control thing mm-hmm. i i kept expecting him to like just turn and be like gotcha yeah, <laughs> yeah. i thought it was an act too like it, yeah. it was he was too friendly <laughs> yeah yeah right it felt weird how it was, it was like was that the only thing that was was it really affecting you that much <laughs> where you were just such a jerk <laughs> yeah seriously man that that was that was kind of it was a severe I mean, turn yeah it that that in and of itself wasn't something that affected my appreciation of the movie at all but it was just something that i thought was strange yeah but at least it, it yeah. 
it it wasn't it wasn't something egregious like you know not explaining the not being consistent to the rules that they've established you know it wasn't it wasn't anything on that level it was just kind of kind of funny to me yeah um then you got electro he had a he had a good amount of lines too and i yeah i i enjoyed seeing him again like jamie fox did a great job in amazing spider-man 2 so uh-huh. him being electro again they even gave him the kind of the that classic look the way that they made the electricity form the his mask yeah, yeah, that was a really clever touch. I thought that was a really good touch to. It's the only way that they could have made that work because yeah, exactly. his costume doesn't really work in real life. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's too ridiculous in real life. It's a straight yeah. up comic book costume for sure. Yeah, because because the way he looked in the Amazing Spider-Man, he was just a, a naked dude made of electricity. You know, looked yeah. all blue, just like in Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It, it was cool to see him, to see them give him uh, a shout out to the classic look, and yeah, and then like there was also that whole, like his whole mentality too, like he was kind of wavering on, on, uh, whether, you know, he really wanted the power versus, you know, just not being a madman. <laughs> yeah, like there, there was something interesting about that, even though we really only get kind of a snippet of dialogue of about how. Before he got his powers, he felt like he was a nobody and everybody stepped on him. And then, uh, you know, it wasn't until he got the powers where he felt like he could be somebody. Yeah. Like, like that that's something, you know, that, that could be the basis of a story in and of itself. It's, it's a pretty straightforward but very, um, you know, impactful characteristic. Motive. Yeah, motive. Yeah. So even just to have that in a bit of uh, dialogue, you know, I, I think that that's enough characterization. It, that they did a good job with that. There was also a good amount of self-awareness. I remember there was that scene when he was when they were in uh, Happy Hogan's house and he's talking to Sandman and I think they ask each other how they got their powers, and he's yeah. like, "Man, I fell into a vat full of electric eels," and the other dude, Sandman's like, "I fell into a super collider. No way." And then Jamie Foxx is like, "Dang, you gotta really watch what you fall into." <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That 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 made me laugh, man. That, yeah. There's something about acknowledging the ridiculousness of their circumstances. It kind of yeah, reminds. The... It kind of reminds me of uh of uh Star Wars and how people just keep falling from uh. Yeah. These high places and dying. Yeah. yeah. In shafts, exactly. What were you gonna say? Oh, I was gonna just gonna say uh with, with Sandman and uh the lizard, they I felt like they, they had enough dialogue, but they weren't really as important to the story, you know? Yeah. They were just bodies. Yeah, exactly. They just needed some people to to fill out the roster. Did you think it was weird that they would go so far as to have a sinister five but they just didn't want to get that sixth member yeah yeah i did think that was weird but i suppose if you think about it tom holland's peter parker was the sixth member you know like that whole scene of them in the in the condominium like he he is the sixth member in a That's way true. like he, he broke him out way. yeah and, and he's trying to help all of them 
he was the sixth one, just kind of like in that uh, Ultimate Six storyline where he was the sixth member, you know, not willingly, of course, but... You know that was that was the the play on the idea of the sinister six. Yeah, yeah. So when I was watching it, there was this there was a moment where uh there was a moment where when Norman Osborn breaks the mask mm-hmm. and uh, goes off, I I don't know what it was that I was seeing that triggered this thought in my head, but there was a moment where I was like, oh, I bet the sixth member is going to be the other uh, Green Goblin from Amazing Spider-Man, uh, the, Harry o- uh, the Harry Osborn Green Goblin, mm. you know? So they would have had two goblins and the rest of the the rest of them, but they didn't go that route. So Yeah, too bad. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they did what they did. Yeah, um, yeah. But... Yeah. Um yeah, I I I liked Norman. Uh it it makes sense that the Green Goblin is, you know, the Green Goblin is like Spider-Man's Joker. So it makes sense that he'd be the one to cause Spider-Man the most grief. Yeah. Uh and you know, he'd be the one to leave him with the most or to impact him the most. Um it was, you know, fun to see Alfred Molina's Doctor Octopus. Um, mm-hmm. I thought he he did a a good job uh, re inhabiting that role. And they uh, did same some goes for... stuff to make him look younger, right? I don't know. Uh, like, if you told me that was the case, I'd believe it because uh, he did look a little. I mean, like they did something. I I couldn't say what, but. They, prob- yeah, it, they probably did the same thing that they did for uh, Samuel L. Jackson in Captain Marvel to make him look oh, you mean like, like he was CG in his prime. Stuff. Yeah, that's what I'm okay. thinking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because Alfred Molina, he's he wasn't young when he did those other movies. Yeah, he's as like, far as I can. Isn't remember. he in his upper sixties by now? Probably. Yeah, probably wouldn't. Yeah, but. But speaking of um, villains, though, there was one thing, uh, and this is another example of the movie failing to live up to its own internal logic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was regarding Sandman. And it the whole time, it just didn't make sense to me why Sandman would uh, would really align himself with the rest of them, with the rest of the villains, you know? So, at one point, uh, yeah, we mentioned this, but at one point, they talk about how all of these other villains, um, you know, needed to be cured or fixed or whatever, right? Because whatever their powers were, were driving them crazy enough and making them dangerous. But Mm -hmm. if you watch the old Sam Raimi Spider-Man, at the end of that movie, he he basically makes amends with Peter Parker, and Peter Parker forgives him, and uh, Sandman ends up just leaving the scene to reunite with his daughter. Mm-hmm. So, one he he wasn't a crazed maniac or or murderer, not not like the rest of them, you know. 
Well, so, technically, he was a murderer, wasn't he? He killed Uncle Ben. Well, he wasn't a... He wasn't a current murderer, I guess. <laughs> he wasn't murdering with gleeful abandon. But When he was pulled from his dimension, he wasn't about to murder Spider-Man. He wasn't going to go on a murder spree. Yeah. Right? Right. But that was the other thing, too. Like, part of the reason that they wanted to save the these other villains was that once they returned to their home dimensions, they would return to the moment in time where they got killed. And like I said, at the end of Spider-Man three, uh, the Sandman didn't die. So he didn't really suffer the same problem that the rest of them did, you know? Mm-hmm. So his entire role with the, the rest of them didn't make too much sense at all. You know, he was just there to fill out a roster spot. Really? Like all all he had to do, like there's this one point where they added a what felt like a throwaway line, but it, it really just served the purpose of, you know, giving him a clear motive. And the line was him saying that he just wanted to he didn't care about any of this other stuff. He just wanted to go home to be with his daughter. Right. Yeah. And. And you know that that's fine that they established that, but at the at the same time he didn't. If that's the case, like he could have just waited for them to press that button on the box, and they would have sent him back. Or you know, if they had uh, when when all the other supervillains were having the battle at on at the Statue of Liberty, there was really no reason for him to be there for that. Because he could have just waited for that fight to finish out and for the superheroes to send everybody home. And he could have just gone home. So it didn't really make too much sense for him to, like, side with these guys. So the whole time I was watching it, I was just... It just felt like it didn't make sense why Sandman was there at all. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good point. I had forgotten the end of Spider-Man 3, so I, I didn't remember that he survived. Yeah, yeah. When you bring that up, that, that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, they didn't technically need to cure him. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. Yeah. That's a yeah. That's a good point. Speaking of that final battle, did you think it was funny how the the their Statue of Liberty looked with the shield? Yeah. 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 I. Uh, I thought that was a nice touch. I, I I presume that it was something that happened after. I mean, it it definitely happened after Infinity War and Endgame. So, I I think they changed their their Statue of Liberty to have that Captain America shield, yeah, which was pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty. It's funny, man, but it, it's cool too. Yeah. What do you think of, like, the final ending scene? So, you know, the final conclusion to the movie being that in order to save the multiverse, Doctor Strange had to cast a spell that would make everyone forget Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. Period. You know? Okay, so I've I've got a couple of mixed feelings about that. Yeah. So... 
here's here's where I want to start. So I, I felt like we spent a whole bunch of time dropping criticisms of the movie and, and speaking about its shortcomings. But I, I do think I don't hate the movie or anything. I just can't say I love it. Yeah. And and there are there are elements of the movie that I really did like a lot in addition to just, you know, the novelty of seeing Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire again. But I I did like some of the ideas that the movie explored. Uh you know, you brought up earlier the core idea of Spider-Man with great power there must also come great responsibility and I think this movie really strives to to capture that concept but i think one of the other big uh ideas that this movie presents to us is what does it mean to be spider-man yeah this movie is at its best when it explores that idea because there are scenes where we get to see the burden of being spider-man the cost of being spider-man being Spider-Man means that even when he does the right thing, bad things happen. He's almost like this Charlie Brown figure where nothing he he does can ever result in his own happiness, even if he's doing the right thing. So there's this tragedy that's intrinsic to the core of the character. And I think this movie makes you feel that. The ending scene where Doctor Strange tells Peter that the only way to close the multiversal rift is to cast the spell correctly and make everyone forget his identity. Like there's the way that Benedict Cumberbatch acts in that scene. It makes it feel like he, he doesn't want to do that. It's like, there's this kind of unspoken respect for who Spider-Man is, but Spider-Man is still willing to make that sacrifice because there's no way he would allow this catastrophic event to happen just for him, his own convenience, you know? Yeah. Like, there's there's just no way that he wouldn't make that sacrifice. And when he tells Doctor Strange to to do it, there's this look of understanding where Doctor Strange just you know he nods and he's like you can call me steven <laughs> and yeah it's 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 a moment where you get this powerful sense of the burden of being spider-man you know the idea of spider-man being the one who does the right thing saves the day he's a genuine hero but he doesn't reap any benefits you know like he doesn't he doesn't get any glory in fact the opposite happens everybody forgets who he is and and uh nobody knows what he sacrificed to to save to save them so yeah. i think there there's something there's yeah there's definitely something inspirational and and stirring about that moment it it feels it feels that feels like a moment that is earned in the movie to me just the idea of of what it means to be spider-man and and being spider-man means doing the right thing but but suffering for it mm. and that 
yeah, that's just one of those things about Spider-Man that makes him such a captivating and interesting character, a timeless character. Yeah. But yeah. the thing that the thing that bugs me about it is by making the entire world forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, there's it's it it goes back to uh what we've seen in comics when they've done that same thing, right? Like when you try to put a genie back in the bottle, it it just kind of screws with um not necessarily with the continuity, but it it makes it makes it hard to tell a logical story. So from that standpoint, yeah. I I think it's 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 really awkward to now you have to explain what people actually thought uh when you know like what like what happens to all their memories from the past however yeah. many weeks it's been since his identity was revealed now their memories are all screwed up in some in some way yeah. and, and we and, see some of that at the movie at mm-hmm. the end of the movie too cuz when peter goes to the grave and may uh to may's grave and happy's there and he's asking oh how did you know her and he's like oh i knew her through spider-man like there's there's a lot of questions that are going on there right yeah it's like so you knew may and you knew spider-man but you don't remember like how did that play out in your mind if peter wasn't spider-man then yeah yeah that makes it confusing yeah it it just makes you ask more questions and opens it up even more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of that scene, did, did you think it was weird that May had her own gravestone? Like she wasn't buried next to Uncle Ben? Huh. That is interesting. Does Uncle Ben not exist in their universe? Like, is Uncle Ben... Does this mean Uncle Ben isn't part of their his his origin at all? MCU? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm pretty sure that Uncle Ben, uh, like I'm pretty sure his origin was the same with Uncle Ben. Yeah. Um, I assumed as much. Because I think, even though I don't think they ever actually said Uncle Ben's name in the other two Spider-Man movies, I want to say that in Spider-Man in Far From Home, when he goes on that trip, doesn't he have a a briefcase that has Uncle Ben's initials, like? B B something P for Ben something Parker. Um, like I I think I remember that. I mean I could be misremembering it, but I feel like that was a de- a little detail, and I I think there was also a, a bit of dialogue in either the first or the second Homecoming movie where uh some I think I think it must have been the first one because he was talking Peter was talking to Tony Stark. And I think Stark was asking him why he why he was doing what he was doing. And, and Peter said, when when you have the abilities that I have and you don't do the right thing, you know, bad things happen. Or, you know, he said something to that effect. So it, it felt like an allusion to Uncle Ben. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I always just assumed that Uncle Ben did exist in the MCU. And yeah, his or and Spider-Man's origin was the same as the classic origin. I mean, yeah. it, it it would feel weird to me, but um, if that if he didn't have Uncle Ben, but 
Yeah, I, I gotta admit that when when I saw that scene with her her gravestone just being by itself without Uncle Ben, like it, I it did make me rack my mind. I was like, wait, does that mean Peter didn't have an Uncle Ben in this universe? But then I I started thinking about the older movies, and I was like, wait, I thought he did. So I'd have to go back and check those scenes that you're talking about because. I always thought he had an Uncle Ben in this universe, too. But mm. I'll have to admit that that was more just an assumption on my part, you know? They yeah. didn't tell me that Uncle Ben didn't exist, so I had no reason to believe that he didn't exist, you know? Yeah. Yeah, this movie kind of makes... This makes it... isn't my world! <laughs> Disappointed! <laughs> Yeah, this movie makes it somewhat ambiguous because there's also that rooftop scene after May dies and uh, Ned and MJ bring Toby and Andrew to meet Tom Holland. And both of them mention Uncle Ben as if it's somebody that Tom Holland might not recognize. And he he doesn't really say that's the exact same thing my uncle said, or that's the exact same thing my un- that happened to my uncle. He doesn't say that's that. True. He doesn't acknowledge it. He doesn't even treat Uncle Ben like, oh, that's a character I've never heard of, or like, who's that? So he doesn't yeah, flinch. It, so I guess it's safe to assume that Uncle Ben is a char- is a person that exists in his world. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I can definitely see where it's a little bit ambiguous. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, uh-huh. that gravestone threw me off, though, man. <laughs> <sighs> Ugh, they're just cutting corners left and right. One one other thing I really did like about this movie, in terms of how it connects as a as part of the trilogy, I was thinking about what their what each of these three movies, what their core themes are in regards to Spider-Man. And when I look at Homecoming. I see that as a movie about Spider-Man wanting to be an adult because he you know that movie he wanted to be an Avenger. He was he was a kid who wanted to grow up faster than than he was, you know, like he he wanted to be a grown man fighting alongside other grown men. Yeah. And then in Far From Home, he had Spider-Man wanting to stay a kid. He wanted to put off his adulthood. He wanted to enjoy his youth and just, you know, be with his friends and enjoy his high school years yeah and then i was thinking about how how did those connect to no way home thematically and i think the best i can come up with is no way home is about adulthood forcefully being thrust upon him you know it's it's at this point he he's no longer choosing anything he just has to be an adult you know like yeah he yeah you can say he makes that choice to tell dr strange to cast the spell and make everyone forget who he is but really when you boil it down to the core of who he is that's really no choice for him man like that's that's the only thing that he could have ever done so now that he's got this new status quo you know he's he's living on his own at the end of the movie Nobody knows he's Spider-Man. It's uh it's it's a world or it's a it's a new uh 
situation that he doesn't really have any say in making happen. He, he's just got to deal with the consequences of his actions, just like any adult. So it's interesting to think about how the character has evolved over the course of the MCU films. Yeah, 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 for sure. Were there um, any uh, themes or ideas that stood out to you? Huh. I think I think the one theme that stood out to me was was the one that you mentioned earlier, which was just the idea that and this makes sense because it's such a fan servicey film, but <laughs> it's it's just a movie that just celebrates the idea of Spider-Man, you know? Yeah. And it's, you know, and and what better way to celebrate that idea than having all three Spider-Mans show up from all the different films and, uh, and, and, you know, to break down the idea of what is it that motivates Spider-Man and you know, boils it down to, uh, mm-hmm. and, and it it really does touch on all these moments of of uh, Spider-Man's history and mythology, and presents it to you in this film, right? Yeah, because you have all the villains from, you know, his previous movies. One villain movies. from each of those movies. Yeah, exactly. And then you have touch, you know, these huge uh, touchstone moments with. Um, Aunt May giving the with great power speech. So, you know, it's just scene after scene of uh, just, you know, the most well-known elements of the Spider-Man mythology presented to you. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. like, I just feel like it just was all those scenes uh like almost in a vacuum just presented to you as like cake basically you know yeah yeah it's it's the connective tissue that's a little bit lacking isn't it it is i think that's that's definitely yeah i i'd say that's the best way to put it um one of the things i was going to that i wanted to mention earlier when we were talking about the uh the mind wipe uh element of that that ending um i i was talking about the that story element with a friend of mine and there there's a couple of i don't know if i'd I'd call them theories but uh let's just say anecdotes so i i can't confirm or not confirm them uh what it was mephisto all along (laughs) was agatha was it agatha uh no 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 but one of the things that they were saying was uh that part of the reason that they wanted to do that they had to do an ending where everyone forgot peter parker was that that sony Sony, stealing back yeah exactly that the reason that sony made that deal with uh marvel slash disney was uh the spider-man movies that they were making were you know they were doing pretty badly financially and so they had to come up with some sort of deal 
And at the time when Spider-Man showed up in uh, Civil War, that was pretty freaking huge, you know? Mm -hmm. And it feels like Sony's already reaped all the rewards. And, you know, between this and if you want to say Venom is a a success and uh, something like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, it wouldn't surprise me if Sony is feeling confident enough where... They don't feel like they need Disney and Marvel anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there was that period of time where they almost cut ties mm-hmm. before this movie came out. And mm-hmm. if it wasn't for Tom Holland, I think they wouldn't have come back together. Right. Yeah. But now that they've done this movie, they can make they can use this story to to write in a reason for the split between Spider-Man and the rest of the MCU, right? So moving forward in the if if the if the Avengers movies moving forward don't mention Spider-Man, then you know, that that works for Sony uh for whatever plans they have for Spider-Man moving forward, right? Mhm. But then again, now we have another logic issue because Happy remembers Spider-Man, but what happens? Yeah, it's it's not like the they Avengers. forgot that Spider-Man existed. They still know that Spider-Man exists and that, That's true. you know, everything that Spider-Man did, did happen and they remember Spider-Man. They just don't know who Spider-Man is. Like, yeah, they don't remember he's Peter Parker. That's, I, that's the I, main I thing. I think, no, my understanding of that last spell wasn't, that they forgot who Peter Park, uh, that Spider-Man was Peter Parker. I think the spell was that they forgot Peter Parker period, you know, like, I don't know if that's a huge difference to you. That's true because, because Ned and MJ didn't recognize Peter Parker. Yeah. Yeah. Even if they forgot that he was Spider-Man, like just the fact that they didn't recognize who he was, in his civilian yeah. identity. Yeah, I, I guess that means he's Peter Parker is kind of persona non grata, but doesn't but don't shouldn't other people still remember who Spider-Man is and wouldn't like if if they still remember who Spider-Man is, can't he just go back to them and then reveal his identity to to them again? Like can't he just go back to Doctor Strange and take his mask off and explain the situation and Use yeah. logic and reason to well, describe what happened. But that's what I'm saying. It's it's not. It almost feels like it's not the threat that you think it is. But but that ending scene where he goes to Ned and MJ in the cafe, like I, it 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 does feel like all of the history that he had with them, all that stuff is gone. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he can go to them reveal his identity and be like see so we're supposed to be friends yeah like, yeah i mean I, I get that but i'm saying like yeah. with the superhero with the superhero community why yeah. couldn't he go back to them no totally that that part is probably the easier part because yeah. all he has to do is exhibit his powers and mm-hmm. then you know reveal himself and his street credibility should be back no problem there right mm-hmm. but i mean 
but also it also just makes it convenient for Sony to not have Spider-Man in those in any Marvel movie moving forward unless they broker some sort of new deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's just there's just an inherent messiness of using magic to rewire everybody's memories. Yeah. Yeah. Like we saw that but, in the comics and we saw how dumb that was. Yeah. And it just and that was another thing that I I thought while watching it was they of all the things that they could have cribbed for their uh, source material for this third movie, for all the things that they could have taken, they took. Often in these movies, it's an opportunity to take stories that have existed, and in some cases, you can improve on them. Right? It's it's mm-hmm. the chance to redo them, a second chance to redo them, and maybe even improve on them. But it sort of convinces me that. One, One more, more day, day might have been so bad that there was no real good way to fix yeah. that or to redo that. You know, it's yeah. just the most irredeemable story that they could have chosen. But well, they could have done the story where we learned that Norman Osborn had sex ooh. with Gwen Stacy and she fathered twins that were accelerated and and grew up to adulthood super fast to fight yeah. Spider-Man with their goblin powers. I'm glad they didn't do that story. I, I don't <laughs> want to think of uh, a full-grown adult man uh, throwing, thrusting himself upon a teenage girl that was also Spider-Man's love interest when he was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was a that was a bad story, but I still want everybody to read it at least once. <laughs> If I had to read it, we all have to read it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so all of you all, look up the story Sins Past by uh, J. Michael Straczynski and Mike Diodato from <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man. Sins Past. Look it up. <laughs> I was also going to mention that... Um, I mean, there's there's that one element of uh, of them trying to take spider-man back to do their own spider-man universe stories mm-hmm. but i i do wonder if the success of spider-man into the spider-verse also encouraged them to do this to do this movie right yeah. because uh we mentioned in recent years that multiverses have been really big and i do think spider-man into the spider-verse was a massive success. That's why I mentioned earlier at the top of the, uh, this episode that mm-hmm. um, I felt like there's there could have been some influence from that as well. Right. Um, because you, I, I think you sent me an article not too long ago where Tom Holland uh, admitted or, or revealed that for a while the third... Uh, Spider-Man movie was going to actually be a Craven story. Um, do you remember mm-hmm. that, Drew? Yeah, I vaguely remember that, and I think I think uh, Sony said that they're gonna try to actually make a Craven the Hunter movie. Really? <laughs> you know, it's all part yeah. of the the SSU, the Sony Spider Universe. Oh gosh, don't, why Craven the Hunt? Okay, anyways. Well, better him than Morbius, but we're getting a Morbius movie anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I I still wonder 
what it would have been like if they had done this last movie as a Craven film. But mm-hmm. that that was a thought that I had while watching it was if they had done this movie as a Craven film, part of me was kind of relieved that it wasn't because I still think they would have wanted to do a Spider-Man film with a lot of spectacle and explosions. And if they were trying to do a film that was going to crip information from uh, Craven's Last Hunt, like, I, I just don't know if those are... That's a thing that translates. Dude, they could have had Spider-Man fight off an army of rats when he was fighting vermin in the climax. Yeah, an I army don't want to see that. Rats. An army of CGI that. rats. <laughs> Think of how many rats that is, man. I don't want, nor do I need to see that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's just... Yeah, um... It's a it's an interesting little bit of back matter that uh, due to whatever changes ended up happening, they decided to tell this multiversal Spider-Man story instead. You know? Yeah. In in a way, this story feels like a smaller scale version of Avengers Endgame because the way I feel the way I view of Endgame is that it's a it's such a giant flex by Marvel to do a, a movie that's basically like a three hour long shout out to its own history. So I can see that. Yeah, I this get what movie you're is, is just a giant shout out to the past 20 years of Spider-Man movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like really that's that's why I think it's k- kind of really navel gazing because like if if you grew up without watching any of these movies or any of the old movies. I wonder if if it would mean as much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But for for people who grew up watching the Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield movies, it's 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 definitely you know much more enjoyable. Yeah, that's for reals. Like, what if there's a kid out there where the Tom Holland Spider-Man is just that's his Spider-Man, right? Those were mm-hmm. the first Spider-Man movies he ever saw. He could watch this. And it'd be completely meaningless to him. Yeah, yeah. Just be like, I don't know who these guys are. Yeah, unless unless he goes back to watch the old ones, which is which is possible, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Did you have any thoughts on the post credits scenes? I mean, the the Venom one was kind of silly. We already talked a little bit about that, and I guess they left a way for a symbiote to enter the MCU. Can we go back to that a little bit though? Sure. Um, if we adhere to the logic that Sony is not going to be doing any more of these, like, I don't know if they plan to do any more movies with Disney or Marvel moving forward, mm-hmm. but yeah. it sounds like they're, they're definitely not giving Spider-Man back. Right. And they're committing to their spider. Sony SSU, Spider-Verse. Right? Yeah. Right. They're, they're obviously committing to that. So if that's the case, like, are they really bringing Venom into the MCU, or are they just if they're not insulating Spider-Man into his own SSU? See, I don't know because if they're not gonna bring Venom into the MCU, why would they show that scene in the post-credits scene after? 
Venom gets returned to his dimension. Yeah, I I don't know. Like that would be a really cheap tease. I mean, don't get me wrong. I really don't care if we don't see Venom. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> but it it just feels like them showing that just gives Marvel or Disney a it leaves the door ajar for them to do Venom in their universe if they want to, you know? Oh, man. I... Yeah, you're, you're right. It, it, it leaves, it, it definitely, that's definitely the case where if they want to bring him in, they can, but I, I don't know. Like, I, I, that's like, oh, over my head in terms of like whatever their contract negotiations are moving forward but i i personally don't have to see it or need to see venom in, on the avengers or anything like that <laughs> they could do right? a story where uh, they they could they could do an adaptation of the rick remender venom flash thompson could be the commando venom <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine the Flash Thompson that we got in uh in this iteration of the Spider-Man movies as Dude, dude if they Venom? made that Flash, <laughs> if they made that Flash, Venom, I would totally watch the heck out of that. He'd be pretty dorky. <laughs> <laughs> uh in regards to the the Doctor Strange uh, end credit scene, which which is really just a trailer for the next Doctor Strange movie, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, that was another thing where um, the fanboys in in the theater that I was. Oh yeah, same in, here, man. Same they here. were they were like losing it for that trailer. Yeah, when when they showed Wanda in the trailer, they were losing yeah. it. Like. They lost it for that. No one really did anything for uh uh what's his name? Shumagarth or Yeah. Yeah. No one, I don't think anyone recognized who what that he was in it. Dude, I was pumped to see Shumagorath, man. Yeah. He's that tentacle creature with the giant eyeball. He was in uh yeah. the Capcom fighting games that Marvel uh that were based on Marvel comics from the late nineties, early two thousands. So that's that's oh, how I discovered cool. him. Yeah, he's a he's a kind of their version of a Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But but the fanboys really lost it when they saw the evil Doctor Strange, and I think he was something from the What If show, this uh, What If streaming show. Okay. Yeah, I I confess that uh, of all the Marvel shows, that was the one I didn't finish. I, I watched like the first one and a half episodes, and and then. I guess I partly lost interest or something came up and I just put it off and I, I never went back to it. Yeah. So I I know that they did one episode with, uh, with, with Dr. Strange, uh, an evil Dr. Strange. And I guess when he, sh they showed him on, uh, in that trailer, the, the, the fanboys in my theater were just, they they lost it for that guy. Okay, because when when I saw that alternate Doctor Strange, I rolled my eyes. I thought that was it's lame a pretty as lame idea. Yeah. yeah. So hearing these guys like squeal about that, I was like, oh, man. You know what they should have done with the doc evil Doctor Strange? They should have made him clean shaven. 
No, because you know how in like Star Trek, yeah, yeah. Mirror Universe, everybody has a goatee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, so... that that would have been funny, dude. <laughs> yeah, man. I like that. I like that idea. The, the one moment <laughs> from the Doctor Strange trailer that that I got psyched up psyched up about, besides seeing Shumagorath, was seeing America Chavez. That that yeah. was pretty cool, man. You just see her from the back, but she's got that uh, uh, Star. totally recognizable jacket. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, America Chavez is one of the coolest characters created in the past, I don't know, decade or so, at least from Marvel's stable. That's a Joe Casey and Nick Trigata creation. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, it was good to see Wanda back. I was, I was, I was into that, especially following uh, WandaVision. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. uh... I'm trying to think back to what else. It was cool to see Baron Mordo again. Uh, yeah. Kind of yeah. curious to see what he's going to be up to. Uh, they did say that in the trailer, and, and you know, this is completely out of context, but uh, they were saying that the the biggest threat to the multiverse is actually Doctor Strange. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how that plays out and what that looks like. Mhm. Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll definitely watch that movie. I don't I wouldn't say it's a movie I'm super excited or pumped up about, but I'll watch it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, you got any uh final thoughts? Nope. I think uh I'm done dissecting No Way Home. I did want to ask you though, man, because I think we were gonna, or you were gonna share about it, but you went to Emerald City Comic Con a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I did. I went to uh, Emerald City Comic Con, and um, you know, one of our followers, Sel- Selby, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. Sel- yeah, he uh, he asked what what some of the things that I had gotten were. So. Um, you know, at this point, I've uh, I've been to enough cons where uh, I I can say that I I've gotten more than my fair share of deals. Uh, there are some definitely some shows where I've walked away with some really good stuff. Um, Seattle, not quite so much. I did find the you know the last two issues of Thor that I needed uh for by jason aaron uh in the thor god of thunder run so i was pretty happy about that but i spent a lot of the show uh just backing uh uh, smaller vendors um so my friend uh men vong he runs his plush company uh and uh, he's he's the reason that I get to go to so many of these shows. So with the holiday season coming up, you know, feel free to check out um, his company, the Beefy Co. or BeefyPoo.com, and uh, you know, just go check check out his merchandise, see what he's got. He's got um, plushes, he's got bags, and uh, other merchandise. It's all really good stuff. Um, in addition to that. Uh, I wanted to give a shout out to my friend Selena Briggs. Uh, her 
Instagram is the Jelly Empire. You should go follow her. And uh, whenever I go hang out uh, or happen to run into her in uh, Brooklyn or in Seattle, um, I, I always end up buying like so much of her stuff. She's got a bunch of um, like stickers and art prints that I've bought. And uh, in addition to that, I I really just enjoy the little characters she's created. She's she's got these little robots that she draws. Uh, that's kind of her thing is these little cute little robots. And, um, you know, I just really enjoy her artwork and her art style. And uh, I, I highly recommend that uh, if you guys want to pick up anything for the holiday season, you know, to go check out her 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 website or her Instagram or her uh online store so uh, just check it out on uh instagram at the jelly empire all right cool man i was also curious man about uh at when you were at emerald city did you uh see any artists or drop by artist alley or were you too busy working i was pretty busy working um i didn't have a chance to go see i did swing by artist alley uh, and I will say that they were actually, it felt like they were more busy than the rest of, uh, than the regular show floor. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see any like big name artists or I didn't, uh, go out of my way to find any big name artists just cause I was, I was on the clock, so I didn't have too much free time. Yeah. But, um, you know, there were... Yeah, I, I I know Dustin Nguyen was there, um, and uh, there there are definitely other artists there. I just was uh, I I did spend most more of this show going to uh, more in, uh, smaller uh, vendors, independent artists and vendors. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Did it feel weird to be at a convention during pandemic season? Uh. Were people good um, about staying masked up and things like that? I think people were generally good about being masked up. Uh, but I think you could still tell that just the general atmosphere was one in which people were hesitant to really attend big events. So it, so definitely on Thursday and Friday, it felt a lot deader than mm-hmm. uh previous years in which i'd been to seattle comic-con mm-hmm. but on saturday that was that was a day where it really felt like it felt like it was before pandemic you know there were mm-hmm. it really felt like there were a lot of people um i mean i don't think People were spending nearly as much as they used to, but it you could definitely tell that there was uh, a pretty massive presence on, on Saturday and just to a lesser degree on Sunday. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, hopefully we'll, we'll get to that point where it, hopefully Omicron isn't going to be a huge deal it's uh it's something that hopefully it's something that we'll be able to manage and we'll just continue to you know get closer to a normal living situation i mean mm-hmm. at this point we're like so far out like i kind of forget what normal is but yeah 
Yeah, I guess I'm just kind of used to how things are now. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? This is our normal now. Yeah. Uh, oh, well. Well, yeah. you know what they say, man. Variants are bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, everybody. This is Between the Gutters. Thanks for listening. Do all the podcast things if you feel like it. You know, like five-star reviews or like us or tell all your friends or, you know what, just live your lives. We just hope you enjoyed <laughs> listening to this show. I don't really – I'm not going to ask anybody to do those things. There we but, go. That's some integrity, baby. Yeah. We're, we're terrible at self-promotion, so. I refuse to be a whore until someone gives me money, in, the, in which case I will absolutely be a whore. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> We've got principles here. So, so uh, yeah. <laughs> Peace out, everybody. Bye.